call Dean Water. Okay, welcome to the Queen Anne's County Commissioner's meeting. This is a public meeting that is being aired live on our local cable television station, QAC TV7. These media broadcasts provide county citizens an opportunity to watch and review our scheduled public presentations. In addition to our live audience this evening, we are providing remote options for citizens to watch and participate in county commissioner meetings. Citizens may watch our meeting live on our Queen Anne's County website at www.qac.org live or on our television channel, Atlantic Broadband Channel 7, and now in High Definition Channel 507. Citizens may also participate by joining the live Zoom meeting by going to www.qac.org slash public comment, and citizens may also email comments to public comment at qac.org. Comments received will be read during the press and public comment period on this evening's agenda. We acknowledge your participation, and by attending, you acknowledge that this session is both recorded and aired. Press and public comment will be taken and is limited to three minutes per person. If you care to speak, please sign the sheet on the information table outside in the hallway. Comments longer than three minutes can be submitted in writing for the commissioners and the planning commissioners review. We will now stand and be led in the Pledge of Allegiance by Commission President Chris Corcorino. Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. If everybody could please remain standing for a moment for all the victims from 9-11. Thank you. We have a few quick uh, housekeeping items for the county commissioners. First, I'd like um, to say that uh, today's agenda for September 14th and the regular and closed session minutes from our August 24th meeting along with the Rose Board and Sanitary Commission minutes from your August 10th meeting have been submitted and uh, circulated for review. Do we have any corrections and or additions? If not, can we have a motion to? One desk item. So uh, I will make a motion to add it's an action action item to amend the agenda second okay motion second all in favor aye, aye. motion to accept the minutes and the amended agenda all in favor aye, aye. aye. All right. thank you commissioners okay uh, moving right along we are here today for a joint county commissioner and planning commissioner work session we want to uh, thank the planning commissioners for having us uh, here at their meeting room today to, to talk about the 2021 comprehensive plan update. And again, uh, we're going to have our uh, our uh, consultant with Wallace Montgomery, Lauren Good, and Ray Moravac. They'll be leading the uh, presentation this evening along with uh, staff. We have Director of Planning and Zoning, Amy Mordock. She's going to introduce our consultants and uh, some other staff members here. We have our Public Works Director, Alan Quimby, and uh, Facilities Planner, uh, Stephen Cahoon. So they'll all be making some brief remarks about our comprehensive plan and how that's going to carry forward over the next several months. So turn it over to Amy. Um, welcome to everyone, and I would like to start by thanking Stephanie Jones, who has been our expert project manager uh, for the county, coordinating with uh, uh, Lauren and Ray with Wallace, Wallace Montgomery and our whole um, planning commission, county commissioners, and our technical uh, committee. I thank them for all of their hard work. We had a very long meeting yesterday that we were very happy to have. Uh, finally looking at the working drafts that have been uh, available to the public 
uh, over the many few months, um, we were able to finally really go through that uh, document and get it in shape because it will be conveyed in October to our planning commission at long last. Um, so it's been um, a long road and we have known that coming to uh, this point has been an inevitability uh, asking these two commissions to come together for an overall update but over uh, the review of this comprehensive plan as we knew it would uh, there are key issues that we have had to address and uh, among the most challenging that we knew was going to be ahead of us was the simple fact that for as far as we know for the first time in the state of Maryland Queen Anne's County has uh, the lucky fortune of being the first jurisdiction to reach its uh, nutrient load cap established by the uh, EPA Environmental Protection Agency and Maryland Department of the Environment as it relates to the Chesapeake Bay um, TMDL which is called the, which is the total maximum daily load. Um, we knew that addressing our growth area was going to be a challenge and um, that is really the key issue that we're here to just lay before you this evening before we turn uh, the presentation over to Lauren and Ray to give you an overall update. We wanted to explain uh, clearly how we've arrived where we are and um, it started in 1972 with the Clean Water Act and that is when the uh, TMDLs were established. Uh, TMDLs established um, pollutant loads in all of the watersheds nationwide and uh, established where our impaired watersheds are located nationwide and why they are impaired for um, nutrients sense. and uh, sediments. Usually it's, um, it's sediment, uh, nitrogen or phosphorus basically. Uh, over time, there have been a lot of programs that have addressed TMDLs, some of them regulatory, some of them suggestive, and in Maryland, there was a rather suggestive approach to a lot of watershed planning initiatives. Uh, not having met some of those TMDL goals established in the 70s, the EPA imposed a Chesapeake Bay TMDL in 2010. That turned everything into a regulatory situation. In doing so, all local jurisdiction, all jurisdictions in the state were assigned a nutrient cap. And that means that the amount of nutrient output that all of our sources can generate is quantified through the Bay model. We have point sources and non-point sources. So uh, point sources are, are um, some stormwater conveyances. Uh, they are our wastewater treatment plants that are beholden to um, nutrient caps established by the Department of the Environment. There are non-point sources which uh, address our agricultural sector, um, some more rural uh, stormwater management practices, and um, septic systems and air deposition is also included. So we have to grapple with all of these limitations in a regulatory manner. So we have a water resources element. We have an NPDES permit 
which is, uh, is directly connected to our wastewater, all of the wastewater treatment plants in the county, municipal or the, and the county plant. Um, we also have um, municipal growth elements that are applicable to all of our incorporated towns. All of these pieces are meant to address nutrient runoff, your nutrient loads, and curtailing those loads. So as I said, we've hit our load for our, the county's unincorporated growth area. And in doing so, it became extremely important in this comp plan update as we are looking at quantifying our growth area and considering applications for comprehensive rezoning, which happens during this process. So when applications came before us requesting to expand our growth areas, uh, we had a, a serious uh, matter before us to consider and also to try to explain to everyone in a way that is unique because no one has had to really do this yet. Um, so we may have had a couple of hiccups along the way and, um, Some pages. and, that, and that's why. Trying to make that very clear uh, is where we are tonight so that uh, both boards are aware of those limitations and why we have these limitations. So that's the basic construct of how these nutrient loads have impacted our comprehensive planning exercise. And I want to now ask uh, Alan Quimby to explain those growth impacts in terms of our comprehensive plan strategies as they relate to sewer capacity, the water and sewer plan. And then I'll ask Steve Cahoon to also address our adequate public facilities, which direct us in terms of how we're going to supply those resources as well as roads and schools. Now get out of your way. Sit right here. Uh, thank you, commissioners. Um, I've had this discussion with the county commissioners before, and I had a discussion with the planning commission not too long ago. So there's really not too much more that I can update you on. <clears throat> but as Amy alluded to, when we got our permit, our discharge permit, we are allowed so many pounds of nitrogen and so many pounds of phosphorus a year at our design flow, which is now 3 million gallons. And that is their absolute limit at this point in time. We are on paper up against that limit, both in gallons and probably uh, in nitrogen. Uh, fortunately, our plant is, does a superior job of removing nitrogen. So we do have some short-term options, which would give us a little bit of capacity if the MDE agrees with it, which would allow us to re-rate the plant. I think I'm confident that we could get 10% more flow or 300,000 gallons and at almost no cost. So obviously that's, that's a, a good thing. But if we don't protect where that 300,000 goes, it'll be gone in no time, and the next expansion could be hugely ugly. I couldn't even put a dollar figure on what it's going to cost to really, truly expand the plant. And it's not just money. You have to have nutrient credits in order to expand the plant. We were somewhat fortunate with the Southern Canal um, project in that every time you retire a septic system, you get a couple pounds of nitrogen credits. No phosphorus credits, but nitrogen credits. Well, we don't need phosphorus credits. So at some point in time, at the end of that uh, Southern Canal project, and once those nutrient credits are folded into our NPDES permit, because until they're in the permit, they don't exist, we may be in a position to expand capacity of the plant beyond this, the uh, re-rating. But again, it could be horribly expensive, and unless we have a market for it, 
I don't know what to tell you. It could be, well, put it in perspective, the town of Sellersville spent $10 million for 200,000 gallons just five years ago. So it could be, it could be $50 million, it could be $70 million. I just have no idea. So while there's a lot of developers want capacity, obviously at some point it gets so expensive that they don't want the capacity. It's just not affordable for them. And if you t make that dive into going into debt, obviously, once you end debt, somebody has to pay it. And if it's not new development, it's going to have to be existing users. And we were up against that with the current plant. Up until recently, a few years ago, we have a million dollar for 20-year debt service. And not that long ago, we weren't sure exactly where that million dollars was going to come from. So it's more than just uh, gallons and pounds. There's a lot of dollar increments involved as well. So the short-term option would be to re-rate the plant. I think it's a pretty much a slam dunk. Again, it costs next to nothing, so that'd be great. We'd buy us some time. We could probably have that in uh, air permit in the 2023 cycle. The longer-term options get very complicated. There's a couple available, being we do have nutrient credits. If the commissioners decide to use the nutrient credits on expanding the capacity of the plant, but again, they are horribly uh, expensive. So, Alan, to qualify what you're saying now, so the nutrient credits, you're saying we would not get any of the nutrient credits until the Southern Kent Island project is complete? We can get probably phase, definitely phase one because phase one is almost complete essentially is complete and maybe phase two with tower gardens in our 2023 permit the phase three and phase four would could not be happening until their 2028 permit right, so we're seven years out basically before we would recognize and actually it's longer than that right to before we recognize all the nutrient credits that we could recognize right. so the re-rating would not be it would not be a full re-rating or we can re-rate because their removal of the nitrogen is so efficient. So we can, basically, I'm saying we can flow 10% more gallons through the plant and stay within our nitrogen limit of 36,000 pounds just because the performance of the plant is that good. But beyond that, you have to have nutrient credits. Okay. So... You have in front of you a short-term strategy, which is, in essence, the uh, re-rating of the plant by 10%. And then there's a couple of options for the long-term strategy, which all of which are horribly expensive. And um, the last item, really, that you need to consider, as is, is, uh, Amy has indicated, that we now have two discharge permits, whereas before we just had the discharge permit for the sewer plant. We now have an MS4 permit, which controls runoff, rain runoff, and, and, and what have you. And like the uh, MPDS permit, it has the regulatory permit or regulatory uh, enforcement behind it. One of the components is we have to treat 200 acres of existing impervious area and we don't even own that 200 acres. So I'm not sure mechanically or legally how you could go onto somebody else's property and build a uh, stormwater pond or whatever, marsh or whatever, to treat this water. But there isn't a provision in the MS4 law that you could swap septic credits for this uh, treatment. So if the commissioners were to decide to do that, that would consume some of the ski credits, approximately 500 of them. And that too, the cost of 
of treating 200 acres of impervious area that we don't even own, assuming we could get the permission to do that, it's probably in the five to $10 million range if we did not utilize the uh, nutrient credits. <coughs> I know. The Court of Appeals decided to hear it. Because in here it says that the, you know, that 200 acres is impervious area by 2025. Is the clock ticking or is it? The clock is ticking. Who owns the 200 acres? I don't know. Whoever. Is it just everywhere? Yeah, like uh, Fisherman's End, Marine, Marysport Marina, or whatever they're called now, Jamal, you know. And how would you treat it? I don't know. You'd have to build a pond or a wetland or something to capture the water before it got into the tidal, tidal waters. But how would you treat it when you didn't even own the land? I don't have an answer for that. It's, it would be design build, correct? I don't know how you would do it because it's not your property. It's not your property. I'm not sure how that would even work. Get permission to put a pond or whatever it is on their property. Unless they said no. And then you pay for it. You would definitely pay for it, yeah. But more than likely, it's then you're probably taking away parking spaces, which they may not want you to take away because it's going to be an impervious sure. area. I'm sure it's and then it may run afoul of zoning ordinance and everything else. I, I'm not sure how well thought that whole process was when how you're going to go on somebody else's property to treat their impervious area. Do we know if there's a program like that anywhere in existence? I don't know what the larger MS4. I'm not really up on MS4 stuff. I mean, MS4 has been around. Phase one has been around for a long time for large jurisdictions. We're in the phase two MS4 category, and, and that's brand new. Come out years ago. Years ago, yeah. It's it's not new. The, the phase one counties, the Western Shore counties, have had permits now for probably ten years. Cecil County was probably the first county on the on the Eastern Shore to get a uh, an MS uh, permit for phase phase two. And then uh, there were several others in this last round, town of Easton, Queen Anne's County. So we're in that, in that group now as well for the phase two counties for uh, MS4. The court case would potentially allow us to put stormwater uh, facilities to treat impervious areas outside of our urbanized zone, which as Alan mentioned, are gonna be extremely difficult to get large enough properties or easements on existing properties to provide treatment. So that's, that's kind of what we're, we're fighting to do in court so we could maybe do management outside of those more difficult zones. So that remains to be seen whether we'll get that permission or not. That, that counts towards our impervious um, calculation overall. Now, a lot of the state highways, um, as you know, have, um, when they expanded those, they've added stormwater features for those. So if they have stormwater management, they, they already are technically treating those. Uh, impervious areas so the the idea was the ms4 program was to provide stormwater management for development that never had stormwater management so like pre-84 um, development in our in our more urbanized if you want to call them urbanized that's what the definition is urbanized areas graysonville um stevensville basically right stevensville. yeah and we're going to have a presentation for you on in october <coughs> everything you want to know about ms4 but the, the, the phase one counties do have an advantage. They usually have extensive networks of storm drain systems. So they already collect it to some degree. So at least there's a, a concentrated area where you could possibly treat it. Whereas we have next to no storm drain systems. Everything's sheet flows and. Challenges, challenges. Yeah, for sure. But everything moving forward has to have stormwater. Oh yeah. 
it's like I don't know if it was the, the 84 was the date. It's more like 2003, but there was a date where even if you did storm water, we started the air storm water ordinance in 84 by state mandate, but it wasn't good enough for to meet MS4. So I don't know what the date is, like 2003 or something. So if you had storm water back in the 80s, it's not good enough to meet MS4. The end goal is to, is, is to control the stormwater runoff. So, and I know that they had talked about trading other areas up, but if you're the area that you have to deal with, the impervious area that where your issue exists, I can't see how trading off somewhere really solves the problem that supposedly MS4 was trying to solve because ultimately you got to take care of the areas that, that your problem exists in, not you know, necessarily going to North County and building some big ponds up there just to make everybody feel good. I mean... That right. sounds logical to me, yeah. I mean, you're trying to catch the sediments off the pavement, the oils off the pavement, right. keep them from going into tidal water. There's been no, there's been nothing that feds or, or the state has, has reached out to say, you know, because let's face it, most of the majority of the roads through there and the traffic that's generated through there is on state and federal roads, not county roads. I mean, they haven't stepped up to the plate and said, you know, we realize we created a lot of this problem that we're now asking you to fix. None of that. Well, don't hold your breath. As I mentioned, all the state <laughs> highway projects, typically the newer ones, they do provide stormwater management, you know, when they make those upgrades. 50 is. I mean, 50's been there. He's not. You're right. Yeah, there and are, it doesn't have any of those. Yeah. What, what, would, what would have to constitute an improvement to 50 for them to enhance stormwater management there? Um, well, they did, like, uh, for example, um, if you, when, when you ride down on 404, when they did the dualization mm -hmm. of 404, you notice they put some, some um, roadside ponds adjacent to the roadway to allow that water to exactly. collect. <laughs> and they did a similar project out at 301, 304 interchange where they have those that big wetland area, mm -hmm. you know, south of the, the truck stop there. So that's another example of a, a larger stormwater facility that they've done uh, for highway improvement projects. Just to add uh, to that conversation that the, when the watershed implementation plans were implemented, uh, there were parts of the plans that the local jurisdictions over which they had no control and state highway improvements were one of them, but state highway requirements to address stormwater were a part of every jurisdiction's whip and how they managed that we had no control over, but those, uh, those runoff calculations are captured and means that they are meant to address them are outlined in the phase two whip, which the no, phase three whip that the state manages. Um, and just to um, transition for Alan and to pull it back to the comp plan, this whole conversation uh, that is a new and speculative in nature that we did generate very specific comprehensive plan strategies that direct the county to look at these long-term and short-term options. And if Lauren could um, flip to the technical committee's recommendations, um, this PowerPoint presentation will be available on our QAC uh, 2021, a Plan QAC 2021 website. Um, and it has been made available in the past, but these are recommendations that uh, are are drafted into our comprehensive plan that direct the county to start looking at these programs and these options uh, in a short-term and a long-term manner that deal with 
capacity that deal with runoff um, because we don't have all of the answers right now, which is a part of our legal conundrum, not having the answers. So it's my understanding, and unless it's changed in the last six, eight months, we don't have a WIP goal to date from the state. We, we don't have, they've never set them. So, we, so we're, we're, we're running in a ghost, on a ghost field with no end zone in sight because they've never told us where we got to be. And I remember this conversation goes all the way back to when we approved ski, that it was going to be, the world was going to be our oyster because we were going to get all these whip credits for ski, but yet here we are four, four plus years later and we have nothing to gauge a lot of what we're going to make decisions on here. If we don't know where the end zone is, I mean, we're just running blindly at it. So some of this stuff may not even be pertinent three years from now if they ever decide what those goals are, right? Is, it, is that still the case or 2025? what? 2025? Wasn't that the, uh, the drop-dead date? Uh, uh, right, to a goal we don't know. <laughs> and here we are in 21 we don't know the goal. So how, how do you plan for something that you don't know what you're trying to plan for? Well, that might be true, but we're still... I mean, we're doing it. Don't get me wrong. I get it. SDI puts us ahead of everybody else. I agree. Jim, and I agree. And the stuff we did over at Washington, or Chesapeake College, I agree. We've done a lot of stuff to that end, but it'd be nice to know where we are in terms of, you know, getting there. That's a good APFO transition. So. <laughs> I was going to ask Steve anyway, because you know, that's his field of expertise. Good evening. Right. Thank Good. you for having me How here. How do I start? No, um, Amy asked me to be here to speak a little bit about APFO. Um, APFO regulates um, and monitors the available capacity of water, public water, public sewer, public roads, and public schools. And that's infrastructure that generally the county is responsible for. Steve, for people who are watching at home and don't know what the acronyms are, okay. tell them what APFO stands for. Thank you. Um, it's Adequate Public Facilities Ordinance. The county first adopted an interim ordinance about 20 years ago, and we've had an ordinance in place when major development comes into uh, the development review process, they're required to test for capacity for water, sewer, schools, and roads. And the APFO also implies an obligation on the county to be able to provide that infrastructure uh, for future development. Um, but the APFO is also a tool that if a developer can meet the requirements of the zoning ordinance and meet the requirements to get approval, but infrastructure isn't adequate, the APFO allows the county to put that project on hold for a period of time. And that developer could provide mitigation or offer mitigation to overcome the lack of capacity in schools or roads. Um, and that mitigation, if acceptable to the county, would allow the project and the developer to move through the process with a project. Um, it also um, was put in place to allow for a temporary hold, but not an indefinite hold. Because if the developer chooses not to offer mitigation, they have the option of waiting for the county to provide the necessary infrastructure for the project. So where we find ourselves is with public water, there is adequate public water and generally we, we have no limitations there. Um, public schools, we have a few school districts that um, are reaching capacity or, or are, are above 90% capacity and we're watching those and monitoring those as um, projects build out over time. And every year we get new numbers from the Board of Ed and have to look at 
where schools are with capacity. And if we come up against um, a school district that is over capacity, the county has the ability to plan and budget for expansion of that school system by adding an addition and adding more seats. A developer can proffer mitigation to pay for some of that uh, to provide seats for kids that their uh, project would generate. Um, so there's some remedies there. Roads, similar things. Um, if we come up to an intersection that has a capacity problem, um, the county and the state highway and a developer can uh, work on a mitigation plan to widen that intersection, add a lane, or add capacity to that intersection, and there's generally could be a remedy. Um, for sewer, uh, historically, sewer is something where um, when we first adopted the APFO, we had the ability to expand the plant by putting money. If, if we had enough money, we could put, put it towards and expand and build the plant. Um, but the rules have changed. And so now we find ourselves in a situation where the uh, permit issued by MDE is out of the commissioner's control. It's out of the county's control. It's really out of the ability to mitigate um, in certain ways. And it's the rules and the um, situation is different now than when we first adopted the APFO. So with allocating all the capacity for um, th that the sewer treatment plant currently has, the APFO is going to start stopping projects coming through the system due to the lack of sewer capacity. Um, I don't really see what a mitigation plan would be that a developer could proffer because it's a permit problem, not a bricks and mortar problem. And so the APFO could be in a position of putting a long-term stop to any project coming through due to the lack of sewer capacity, and that's really not what the APFO was set up to do. And that remedy of a permit expansion or additional capacity really is in MDE's control and not in the commissioner's control or um, the planning commission's control and it's really not something we can just uh, expand the plant by putting more money towards it or a developer could put more money towards it and make it uh, remedy the lack of capacity. Does that, does that roll back like if it's something's S2W2 at this point, would that freeze that S2W2 or do you have to change that that S rating at that point, Alan, to make it what it should be, say S7 or 8, depending on the mitigation? Yeah. The short answer is yes. Okay. What you don't want to do is make a promise that the county can't keep in the time horizon of the plan. Well, the other side of that coin, though, is, is with what is left or what could be left with a re-rating. Mm -hmm. What to do with it. <laughs> what to do with it. Uh, where it goes, so you do right. And there, so how there, you know, something has to be built in a, in a process, I, I, and I don't know. I mean, that's something we need to address. In the context of the comprehensive plan, we need to frame our land use policies and procedures to fit our ability to deliver that same infrastructure to those properties in those growth areas effectively, because we have no plan to go beyond that capacity. 
So like Steve says, we run into that situation where you're effectively creating a moratorium with the APFO if you do not have a plan to provide capacity beyond that, that point, if you have more than more property in the growth area than you can effectively serve in, in a reasonable time period. So that's that kind of ties the, it together. The technical committee put together some recommendations that are, um, some of them are on the screen, um, coming up with uh, capacity management plans, um, coming up with priorities on how the allocation would be used if, if the plan is reallocated. Um, limiting the size of residential development that could occur because residential uh, development consumes the largest amount of allocation. Um, I think number five. Um, and then we still have two problem areas that need to be addressed right. at some point in Marlin Farms and Dominion. Um, reviewing zoning densities. Um, you know, there, there's a variety of strategies at the technical committee uh, had thought about to put before um, the commissioners and the planning commission and, and put in the plan for consideration. And, you know, the, as Alan mentioned, the, if you have a limited amount of allocation for an unknown period of time, it, it really is how do we want to prioritize it as as planning commission want to prioritize that um, limited amount of capacity that for right now uh, or until we work through and figure out if there are any other solutions has there been any contact by anybody from the county with MDE with I know we cornered them in Ocean City but has, there, has anybody formally sent a letter saying Here, here's where we are here's Queen Anne's County you know, unfortunately, once again, out front in a problem we don't want, but we have. So, you know, to get some back input from them, you know, I, I think that I mean, we're getting ready to drastically change growth areas, it sounds like. So with that being said, do we wait 10 years if they come along in two years and say, you know what, we're going to give you 10% more TMDL? I mean, I don't know. I'm just... I mean, is there a mechanism that would allow us to walk back from the, from the edge? In the you mean in the comp plan? Right. Right. You can always always change the comp plan. You can always uh, revise it. You, you can. Right. right. <laughs> but we've lost. Well, yeah, in, in trying to open in between cycles. And that's what I want to say. If something, if something is in there, something can be put in there. Trigger. Trigger. Right. Exactly. That allows us to, to go in there without setting the place on fire. That's all. Just, Amy, go ahead. So two. It's gonna, whatever you do is going to set things on fire. No. <laughs> 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 we like fire. <laughs> So to answer your first question, yes, uh, we have uh, reached out to a liaison with MDE who is going to meet with us and assist us to generate this dialogue, continue this dialogue, and get some clear direction. And um, and I'm need to give clear direction. Appropriate. <laughs> I have great faith in our liaison who will be helping us with that initiative. Um, I think if there's an answer to be had, um, 
he'll help us to find it. Well, there, there are ideas, let's say. Mm -hmm. There are, if you want to say strategies, ideas, but they have to be uh, very carefully formulated from, uh, uh, from the feasibility all the way through the economics. So they're, they're not easily uh, solvable problems. Well, you know, one of the questions that I asked recently is we're a county of 50,000 people and we're up against the wall, you know, and, and I, I don't know, Todd, you told me, Cambridge with the amount of allocation that they have, you know, I mean, I, they did some, some people got in a room together and it's a lot smarter than me that said, here's what everybody's allowed to have. And yet, you know, I, I, honestly, I, I can't see us growing what? Uh, 2,700 people in the last 10 years is what the census came up with, and now we're against the wall. So, you know, I, I, I'd like to see some kind of exp explanation from MDE how, how they we are against yeah. the wall, but nobody else is, and how much allocation other counties have, you know, with the TMDLs and what we have. So, I mean, if you look at the census data, we did not grow, as, despite what people think, this county did not grow as fast as most counties Correct. in the last 10 years. Yes. So, you know, I don't know, I just think that that, that would help uh, in a better understanding of, of the system. So. No, but we did forward sell our allocation. Allocation being held up, so right. With, with some, that's, I think other people understand is there's allocation that's not being used, but it's sort of on hold right now. Well, I think part of that is it was forward sold 10 and 15 years ago, not recently. Yeah. It's been allocation that's been out there for a long, long time. So. Right. right. That, that if you look, there is a, a enhanced version or shorter version of Schedule A, but there is roughly 2,600 units that are going to be developed that have allocation currently. So that's a lot of new units that is eligible for construction over the next 10 years, let's say. Right. So, and again, you know, that's 2,600 units, you know, for over the next 10 years. So that's not, you know, the end of the world. I, I just think that, you know, again, I'd like to know what other counties are doing. Yeah, oh, yeah. Units that, you know, they're, they're running up with and, and where their allocation sets at. Now, that's all. I'm just, you know, I mean, there's people who speculate that this is a great tool to use to control growth, you know, from your capacity. So, you know, and, and I get that. So that, that's fine. But, you know, we're going to call a pig a pig. So that's all. I just want to. Well, and to bring the conversation back to our growth areas, um, you're, you're right, we've hit, the county has hit its growth area, uh, growth limitation in its growth area in our unincorporated areas, but it's even more vital that we continue to collaborate with municipalities who have capacity um, and to ensure that all of our, the standards that have long, have long been in place in our comprehensive plan are followed, which direct growth, growth to where we have means and infrastructure. And just to get away somewhat from a more gloom and doom approach, um, this is what I see as we're in, a, we're in this 10-year planning cycle, but this isn't going to be the constant state of affairs moving forward. This is where we are right now. Um, we definitely have to deal with this limitation, but as we um, coordinate with the state, as technologies change, as we run through some of the good direction that I think the strategies are giving us in terms of looking at options, um, it is a possibility to update our comprehensive plan when we have valid reasons to do so. 
um, we have a five-year update and of course the 10-year update but if there should be a significant substantive change in the interim um, that is a process that is open to us so well, just for, uh, for clarification for the public the APFO does that uh, same model go for incorporated towns do they have an APFO that they follow that no oh. what they do have is a municipal growth element though and what they do have are areas mapped that we and we coordinate with our municipalities and we're doing so right now to look at their they have short-term and long-term growth areas mapped because there is an expectation when you're in an incorporated town and you're paying taxes and getting a wide range of services there is an expectation in terms of a time frame in which a town can expect to out to unroll all of its services well, I'm Schools. Oh. No, that's a separate issue. But in terms of their growth management, okay. uh, they do have growth areas that are designated in the same way that the county does, other, although theirs are more flexible in the way they can quantify them. So we could grow exponentially within the towns and the APFO specifically, like Jim said, the school side, that overcrowding issue is now out of the county's control at that point then, right? Well, no, not exponentially. Uh, they also have nutrient caps. They also have um, prescription. But if they do just residential, say, say they just put all homes in, at that point they're pushing the envelope on the APFO on the school side, right? Potentially. They do pay impact fees. I get it. I get it. The impact fee is there to cover that, so that's... Kids are in there that's for that's 12 years, so... Yeah. This is our toughest issue, uh, <laughs> but I'd like to turn um, the workshop over, unless you have any more questions, to uh, Lauren Good and Ray Morvick, who have been uh, guiding us through all of the chapter updates and all of the uh, issues that have come before us and all of the community comments that we've received that have brought us to the draft. But I don't want to cut off comments if you had anymore just wondering maybe you can just get us the information I know I, did, I tried to find it in here what the capacities were in the incorporated towns what what uh, the sewer capacities mm -hmm. were by comparison yep. to just to use it as a comparison I just didn't see it anywhere and I th think it should be relevant to looking at the growth areas outside of the uh, or in the incorporated areas it is in the draft comp plan it just okay. wasn't in your PowerPoint okay yeah Well, we wanted to thank you for um, having us before you tonight to give a project status update on the county's comprehensive plan. Uh, as mentioned, my name is Lauren Good, and I am the project manager for Wallace Montgomery. That's been working with the county for the past several months. Uh, with me is Ray Moravec, uh, who is the vice president of our, our planning group um, and provides uh, technical expertise um, and a variety of different other uh, functions to us throughout this process. Uh, so we really wanted to uh, to start this discussion with um, just an overall status update, move into overviews of the various chapters and the key issues that came out of those 
um, an overview of the public outreach that has uh, gone on uh, throughout this process and then wrap it up with next steps, next steps and plan adoption uh, before we move on to uh, public comment related to this portion. Uh, so if you have any questions or comments as we move through, please, uh, please interrupt us and we will do our best to address them. Uh, so when we started with this project in, in um, meeting and talking with Planning and Zoning and the Planning Commission, um, we decided that um, a new framework would be helpful for the plan. Uh, the, the current adopted plan is close to 1,200 pages um, and uh, the with multiple plans like the community plans um, that don't didn't have a consistent format um, so our intent with this is to make sure that the the new plan for you is accessible usable um, very user-friendly uh, that it integrates the uh, 2010 plan, uh, two of the community plans, um, and reflects some reorganization and it, uh, really addressing and incorporating new legislation. Uh, this process itself was an update to that plan, uh, so it wasn't starting over from scratch, so the process itself looks a little different than it did uh, back when the 2010 plan was being developed. Uh, but we think that it's it's uh, worked out very well uh, so far and we're getting a lot of great input uh, and feedback from the community. Uh, so in general, as we move through these various components, uh, we've tried to make sure that all of the chapters have a similar, um, similar layout. So you'll notice with all of them, there's a snapshot page that gives a brief overview of what's going on in the chapter. Uh, we give some background on the legislative and regulatory information that um, really in, not only informs, but um, includes requirements for what is uh, incorporated into those various uh, areas. Um, then there's the bulk of the chapter, which is the true content um, uh, that is, that's discussed. Uh, and then we wrap it up with some best management practices or tools and techniques related to those various areas. Um, and then um, wrap the whole uh, chapter up with various strategies and actions. Uh, so there's a list of topics that are covered in the chapters, uh, and these are primar these primarily come out of uh, Maryland's land use article, um, what are required to be in a comprehensive plan, as well as a few uh, optional elements that are important to the county. From the outset, we worked to define the various uh, roles that um, different groups play within this process. Um, so starting with the county commissioners, uh, you initiated the plan update. Uh, we'll review the PC draft, uh, we'll uh, hold public hearings, vote on the draft, and um, uh, adopt it. Um, and those are the, the high-level functions that the county commissioners play in this process. The Planning Commission um, has the responsibility for developing the plan uh, under state law, um, review and comments on the drafts that uh, we are working on in, in um, cooperation with county staff, um, and then contemplates various requests, holds public hearings, and uh, recommends approval of the draft to the county commissioners. Um, as noted, we, are, as, we as the consultants uh, were contracted to manage this update um, take part in the analyses, lead various public discussions, incorporate that input, um, and then do all the behind the scenes work with graphics, the, the narrative writing, uh, and things, things like that to get us to the, uh, the drafts um, uh, for, for your review. Working very closely with planning and zoning staff, um, as well as other county staff members 
uh, to incorporate all the, the needed input um, and all the information that you uh, that they all have, you know, working day to day within the county. Um, a crucial, uh, two crucial components of this uh, this group um, are our stakeholders, partners, technical committee, and the public. Um, these these groups um, they do serve different roles, but all provide comments to us uh, for incorporation into the documents, um, giving guidance on overarching concepts, uh, and really being the voice of the community, uh, so that we're able to make sure that it not the plan not only reflects um, the dot desires of both of the boards present here um, but everyone in the county as a whole uh, so just very quickly um, five counties in Maryland um, last updated their plans in 2010 uh, including Queen Anne's County um, the state now requires those plans to be updated every 10 years uh, so the five those five counties are in this same review cycle um, so we are um, we are one of the counties that has initiated this process um, Baltimore County um, has worked on their plan which will uh, likely be adopted in the spring. Um, Anne Arundel has uh, uh, updated their plan um, and that um, uh, was adopted earlier this year. So we're right in line with the um, those processes that are um, ongoing currently. We are well into the overall uh, the overall process. Um, we've completed a community survey, five visioning workshops, um, eight special topic workshops and uh, eight technical committee meetings. Uh, the technical committee is comprised uh, primarily of county staff um, from the various departments. Uh, and we've completed initial drafts of all of the chapters that uh, comprise the plan itself. Uh, we worked on updating all of those drafts and reviewed it with the technical committee yesterday as amy mentioned this was a marathon marathon session um, not quite page by page but looking very in depth at the uh the draft to make sure that all comments are addressed um we'll spend the next um uh week or so incorporating all of those remaining comments um, and then that will go back to planning and zoning for one last uh, one last look before that goes out into the planning commission packets for the October meeting uh, beyond that uh, we have the 60-day comment period that is coming up which is where we look for comments from uh, the state uh, neighboring counties the incorporated municipalities um, and the public uh, we look for comments on the full draft plan um, and then we will be holding a another uh, similar session that will be a joint update to let you know what those comments were and what our response what our recommended responses are to what we've heard from those various groups and then that will lead us into the planning commission's public hearing and recommendation uh, and that leads to the county commissioners uh, public hearing and adoption We've worked to um, make sure that all of the various comments that we received are detailed and tracked. Uh, everything from what we hear from the technical committee to comments from the public um, and those that are submitted through email or through our project website. So those are all documented uh, with um, the individual comment itself, but then how it's being um, how it's being responded to just to make sure that all of that input is being addressed in one way or another in the plan itself. 
So just a brief overview of status and where we are now, um, and then getting into the more of the meat of this presentation, um, our overviews on the various chapters. Uh, so starting with our first chapter, the introduction, uh, here's where we, we talk about the overall uh, vision within the comp plan, um, outline the various guiding principles that are really guiding this effort um, and all of the uh, strategies that are developed in the um, uh, subsequent chapters. Um, address policies and legal context, go over history, uh, and then really uh, talk about community outreach um, and what type of information has come into uh, come into us. Uh, we do provide an appendix that goes into a uh, very detailed overview of public outreach um, for anyone who wants to to look at the um, uh, the specific comments. Um, but in this in this chapter, um, really the the major updates from uh, the last plan are uh, the vision statement that uh, was updated along with the guiding principles. Um, so we just have a quick snapshot of what those are right here. Um, still keeping a similar framework to what was uh, within the 2010 plan, recognizing that the county is um, a great place to live, a good place to work, a good neighbor, a protective community, and a supportive county, um, but just tweaking and modifying the language within these statements to make it make sure that it's applicable for 2021, the current situation, and where we want to see ourselves um, uh, moving over the next uh, 10 years. And again, the guiding principles are those that really have um, helped uh, align how we develop this process um, and move forward uh, with the entire uh, document. As we move on to the second chapter, uh, this is a, um, a new summary chapter that uh, really goes over um, some basics, uh, just a general overview of the county, discussions of uh, county geography, and then a look at demographic characteristics, uh, for example, the census information, um, that really helps to inform the rest of the plan. Um, because this information isn't um, specific to any one chapter, we thought that having this over overview chapter would be um, a good thing to um, just really put that at front to make sure that everything is on the same page as we move forward. Um, we do have some uh, initial 2020 census data that we're working to incorporate, uh, so not all of that will be released by uh, the time that the, uh, the plan is reviewed, uh, but that information that is, uh, such as population counts, housing unit counts, uh, we're working to incorporate that to make sure it's as up-to-date as possible. Uh, and then another uh, change from the last plan um, is that we're providing some brief information about the various unincorporated communities within the county. Um, to make sure that uh, we're acknowledging them, um, their, their importance, um, and, and recognizing them um, as, as a, a component in addition to the uh, various growth areas, um, community planning areas, and the incorporated towns uh, within the county. Our third chapter discusses community facilities and services, and this is uh, really the first part of the plan where the adequate public facilities uh, truly comes into play. Uh, here we uh, give an overview on the county's governance and administration, uh, its structure, the um, uh, boards and commissions, departments uh, that really make up county government. We also include discussions on um, public safety, uh, the various utilities that um, are present in the county, 
and that incorporates the the water resources so drinking water um, uh, sewer stormwater uh, as well as um, solid waste and recycling and broadband availability uh, we also talk about education here uh, along with the uh, school capacity information uh, go on to talk about libraries and uh, parks and recreation uh, we do want to note with Parks and Recreation, uh, that department is uh, currently working on the update to their LPPRP, which is the Land Preservation Parks and Recreation <coughs> Plan, which takes me a second to think through that one, um, which is uh, due, I believe it's early, early in 2020. So we've been um, coordinating with um, uh, with Nancy Scazzari on, on that to make sure that the appropriate elements related to parks and recreation are either in the comprehensive plan or the upcoming LPPRP and we're not necessarily duplicating those efforts. Uh, so as mentioned within this section, um, the key issues or major updates include the discussion on adequate public facilities and how they relate to these various topic areas, uh, some of which are described more in detail in other chapters. Uh, we give an, over, uh, an overview of the most recent uh, public school enrollment, enrollment projections. Uh, these were the ones that um, Steve had mentioned, uh, the most recent ones that are available. Um, and then a discussion about the, the broadband needs um, and that high-speed telecommunication need throughout the county. Um, we do have a few slides here that just kind of gives that overview of um, the, the public schools, the, the capacity, and then our enrollment projections. So if anybody has specific information about any of that, we can um, either address it or come back uh, should those questions come up. <clears throat> As we move into chapter four, um, that's really uh, where most of the items um, uh, that uh, the county staff have already talked about real, truly come into play um, because it's it talks about the effects of these various elements on land use within the county. Uh, so this this chapter really is a synthesis of information throughout the rest of the plan. Um, it talks specifically about um, the existing land use or land cover that um, is in place today. Um, discusses priority preservation. Which is uh, which focuses on agricultural and forest land preservation specifically. Um, talks about the various preservation programs um, and the the benefits and challenges um, in general. Um, it also talks about future <coughs> land use, and this is where we get into discussions on the various uh, growth areas, um, uh, the priority funding areas, impacts. Um, on water resources and due to water resources, um, and uh, you know, just talks about some those specifics and how they relate to future land use. Um, and then there's also a discussion of current zoning, but of course that's handled. That's a separate process. Um, the, the comp plan itself does not modify zoning, um, so that is not um, being done through this process. But we recognize the link between land use and and zoning. Uh, so here are major updates and key issues, again, focused on the adequate public facilities and various capacity limitations and what that means uh, to this, this comprehensive plan in the planning period, in this 10-year planning period. Um, we talk about growth management and the growth areas and recommendations uh, related to those. Uh, we talk about this, um, uh, the 
<clears throat> preservation goals that were developed, um, how we've done um, the, the progress we've made uh, to get to um, the amount of land that has been preserved to date and what's remaining to meet the, the next um, uh, goal that's set for 2030. Um, and also talk about um, uh, some scenic byway designations and things of that nature. Um, for the past several meetings with the Planning Commission, we have discussed uh, the comprehensive rezoning requests that were submitted. Um, again, right now we're not doing anything to change zoning, um, but this is a process that goes hand in hand with the update to the comprehensive plan. Uh, so this is the chance for the, um, the public to submit these requests. And uh, with the Planning Commission uh, and the Technical Committee, we've been reviewing the submitted requests to um, help to uh, form our approach to land use uh, to take a closer look at future land use for various areas and to see um, how um, consistent requests may be with future land use and if there are any um, um, resulting changes to any of those areas that that should be made at this time um, just a little bit more of a uh, discussion on that or just a little bit of update obviously existing land use really describes how land is being used currently uh, whereas zoning um, are the the districts and regulations that designate what land uses are permitted in a particular area um, and then future land use um, describes what the county has determined to be the most desirable type of use for a particular area so while these are all different they really are very connected and go hand in hand um, with one another and of course um, the future land use map is used when you are considering um, any future rezoning recommendations that may come up um, and then just um, just quickly, when we look at the comp comprehensive rezoning or rezoning in general, uh, comprehensive rezoning again happens um, about every 10 years in coordination with uh, the, the adoption of um, or enactment of the comprehensive plan strategies uh, and involves um, or, or that um, occurs in conjunction with update of the zoning code and the zoning map um, and it's called comprehensive because really as part of this process we are looking thoroughly and comprehensively at the various areas um, and what uh, different future land uses would mean to the county uh, conversely um, what happens outside of that process are map amendments uh, that there's a specific time frame with within each year but really puts more of the um, proof on the applicant to uh, make sure that the, that the county finds that the rezoning is consistent with the adopted comprehensive plan and that the uh, current zoning was applied um, uh, erroneously or that there's been a change in the neighborhood since the most recent comprehensive plan was adopted. So different, different things that have to be looked at depending on the type of rezoning that's occurring. Uh, we had another detailed meeting with our technical committee um, and looked at a number of resources, those are the ones listed on the left here, when making our um, recommendations for how the land use related to those should be addressed. And a number of review considerations, um, everything from the development potential should the land use change, uh, capacity and allocations um, related to the uh, sewer based on Schedule A, um, whether 
it led to expansion of an existing business or economic uh, development. Um, if there were similar requests within a geographic region, uh, consistency with established zoning districts, um, future annexation and growth areas of the incorporated towns, um, and uh, you know, along, again, along with the resources shown at left. Uh, so we looked at the 46 different applications um, and came up with those uh, recommendations that again have all been reviewed by the Planning Commission and we are incorporating their recommendations into the draft uh, that will be uh, ready for review in October. <clears throat> Again, more for um, uh, if there's any other detailed questions, but this is just a highlight of the uh, uh, conserved lands um, that have occurred. So um, here we're showing that um, uh, right now that we've got over 238,000 acres that have been preserved through these various uh, preservation programs, um, which is a fantastic number. Uh, it's very exciting to see how committed everyone, uh, the county is to, um, to this type of preservation. Um, and the county has set uh, a goal to preserve 100,000 acres of land by 2030. Um, and as mentioned, we're you know, well on our way toward that with only about 16,000 acres left. Um, so uh, knowing what that rate has been over the past several years, um, it, we think that it's, very, uh, it's a very doable goal to meet that um, by 2030. Um, with that, we transition to our environmental resources chapter, um, and this is where we discuss um, both uh, sensitive areas and natural resources. Sensitive areas are those that are um, uh, specifically called out in the land use article, um, but we look at envir the environment comprehensively here. Um, there's also a, a more in-depth discussion about uh, the water resources. Um, and sort of those key issues and major updates here are, um, again, highlighting the adequate public facilities discussion um, and incorporating climate change and hazard mitigation, which did not occur in the previous plan, uh, and then talking about impervious surfaces and what that means to um, a watershed once you meet uh, different um, uh, percentage of uh, coverages. While this skips ahead to Appendix D, the water resources element is really the uh, the meat of the background information uh, that informs the uh, uh, some of the land use and environmental chapters. This is here. This is where we get into detailed information about the um, water and wastewater treatment systems, both at the from the county level and uh, with the incorporated towns um, that have those systems. Um, we talk about existing and projected conditions and incorporate information from the municipal growth elements um, into this into this detailed appendix. Uh, this is a snapshot of some of the slides that we used um, earlier. Um, I will just skip ahead here uh, to chapter six, which focuses on transportation. Um, here we talk about connections to um, various components, like how transportation is connected to land use, economic development, and land preservation. Um, we uh, discuss the roadway system overall and provide analysis on various components and then also talk about um, network improvements both that have gone on but then are um, either pending or um, desired um, in the next 10 years. 
Uh, here are some of the more major updates or issues are a discussion of the Bay Bridge Crossing study um, and what, uh, what that may mean for the county. Um, highlighted in a lot of our public outreach was the need for additional multimodal connections. Um, so how do we connect um, pedestrians and cyclists uh, within the community? Um, a desire for improved um, public access to the water um, and um, uh, talking about uh, the impacts of seasonal traffic, congestion, and safety concerns um, that, that occur within the community. Our discussion on historic and cultural resources, again, really talks about the benefits of preservation in general, um, highlights the, um, the many resources that are present in the community, and also highlights preservation in organizations that are present and um, work, uh, work here. Um, key issues that were um, uh, pinpointed were the um, progress that the county has made on, on the preservation front um, and potential loss of resources should preservation not progress further. Um, it was discussed, there was a desire from um, uh, various parties to um, uh, look into developing a historic preservation commission and the potential roles that that commission may, um, may take on related to these efforts, uh, discussions of um, continuing with the historic property inventories that have been started in the past and then just generally some various options for preservation funding um, to continue those preservation efforts. Economic development and tourism uh, not only looked at uh, various economic characteristics but also at the county's uh, various industries. Um, the geographic economic centers, um, so the business parks, uh, the town centers and growth areas, and then the business incentive zones, um, which there are a longer list of those areas. Um, and then um, workforce development, so retention and expansion or attraction of various um, uh, components within the um, uh, workforce generally. So here we talked about some of the niche markets that we're, are, um, we're seeing emerge, uh, such as agritourism, um, things like that. Um, we also talk about commercial growth, um, how to attract and develop the workforce, um, how that relates to land and agricultural preservation, and then differences due to geography, because of course we know that there's um, a big difference in the, the needs of um, say the communities within the Kent Island area and those in Northern County, um, the types of businesses and the types of commercial development that may occur or are needed. Um, housing, um, here we provide an inventory of um, the, the housing stock, uh, talk about affordable um, and workforce housing and what those differences mean, and then look at um, a needs analysis for, um, for housing in the future. Um, we worked closely with the consultants who were uh, uh, working for the county to develop the, the housing study and have incorporated that information. So um, the, this chapter does reflect a lot of that information that um, uh, you've, you've already seen. Um, here we talk about diversification of housing, um, so um, the, meaning the, the types or the price points for various housing, um, affordable, uh, what's called missing middle um, and workforce housing, so trying to fill that gap um, in the type of housing that is um, not only available but is um, 
uh, available at an appropriate price point within the county. Um, and then there was also, it was also brought up the potential need for um, a homeless shelter or how to um, help the, the homeless population within the county. Um, the town planning framework chapter really talks about the relationship of the planning that goes on between the counties and the towns. Uh, so while the county has this comprehensive plan, um, all of the incorporated towns within the county also have their own plans um, and are responsible for developing those, um, but that neither is done in a vacuum. So here we've been coordinating with the towns and are continuing to do so to make sure that we are um, uh, addressing and incorporating their municipal growth elements, their um, desired uh, annexation boundaries and things like that, um, so that the plans are consistent um, moving forward. Chapter 11, um, community plans, uh, is a discussion of the, the various um, uh, uh, county growth areas um, which are the Chester Stevensville area, uh, the Catanaros and Graysonville. Um, so it was one, a desire of the county to uh, incorporate these into the overall plan rather than have all of the standalone documents. Um, so in this effort, we've uh, completely incorporated those for Chester Stevensville and Graysonville. And um, for um, a few different reasons, Kent Narrows still has a standalone plan, which is the bulk of the information. Um, but we do provide an overview of that within this chapter um, just referring to the standalone plan for the more detailed explanations and analysis um, as needed. So for each of these areas, um, again, we give a little bit of background about the, the community and the community plan, uh, some profiles on the various communities, and then talk about the different planning issues, some of which are similar among all three of the planning areas and some that are particular to um, just one. <laughs> Um, and um, here again, uh, we've addressed um, the adequate public facilities and sewer capacity limitations, um, changes to potential changes to the growth area. Um, and one of the key items that came out of our uh, comprehensive rezoning requests were um, a large number of applications were received from the Graysonville area. Uh, where there was a desire to have that be a, a more traditional uh, Main Street corridor. So rather than look specifically at that, we um, uh, are proposing to have a new future land use um, category that's really more Main Street corridor redevelopment where um, this would involve uh, perhaps consolidation of some of the uh, zoning districts and reflect that traditional down, uh, downtown um, Main Street corridor sense, um, but looking at that for all of the various uh, community areas, not just those particular um, applications that came into us. And then particular to the various areas, um, Again, for both of the Chester Stevensville and Graysonville communities, affordable housing was an issue that came up. Um, Bay Bridge traffic, uh, climate change and sea level rise. Um, connectivity, again, was a big one throughout all three of these um, all three of these plans. Um, and then making sure to maintain the community character and in, um, looking for that vibrant and walkable downtown. 
Graysonville um, had many of those similars, but uh, they were also looking for a way to try to leverage the public uh, that travels through the area. So um, not just having drive-through traffic, but how can we try to um, make the most out of that, um, whether that's coming into businesses or things like that to um, try to really just leverage those that previously were just um, uh, moving through the area. Um, and then here again, uh, there was a, uh, a nod to workforce education and development and how that could occur within this community. <clears throat> and I'm not forgetting the Kent Narrows piece that'll just come um, in one moment because it's more, again, that standalone plan. Um, but this uh, document, um, the bulk of it really wraps up with this implementation chapter um, where we talk about some of the various plan relationships and coordination efforts. Uh, but the bulk of this is an implementation matrix that is really the steps of um, uh, strategies and action items that have been identified for the county to look at as funding becomes available or um, as various priorities reach um, sort of the top of the list over the next uh, several years. Um, so here we've again tried to streamline it a little bit so that it's not quite as cumbersome as was um, the previous plan um, and it's a little easier to um, uh, really zoom in and see what the particular action item is rather than being um, sort of a multi-step action item that's listed. Again, the Kent Narrows plan is a standalone plan and has um, a lot of the same items that were that were discussed in the overall uh, community plan section. Um, and here, um, there there was a key discussion on um, the niche markets and tourism that occurs within Kent, Kent Narrows, and that um, uh, they are looking to see progress, um, multimodal connections, and discussions about design and architectural <coughs> guidelines. Um, so that very, maybe not so briefly, but um, briefly as, as we could, really tries to highlight the various key issues and updates for each of those sections within the plan. Um, just wanted to pause and see if any, anyone had any questions at this point. You're completely prepped for when this comes back to you for comment now. <laughs> So we'll just take a, um, just a few more moments. Um, again, we, we had a very robust public outreach uh, related to this. Um, our five visioning workshops, um, uh, we had over or close to 230 total participants related to that. Our eight special topic workshops um, had over 280 participants. Um, so all but one of these um, occurred in a virtual environment. Um, so that was uh, a new thing for us to really take on. But we think that the feedback that we received was fantastic. Um, we heard from a lot of people that we probably normally wouldn't have um, had these all been in person. Um, and we were able to very easily document the comments that, um, that came in throughout those processes. Uh, we also had a um, project website um, that I'm, I'm, I know for a fact many of the people in the room are um, visiting and have signed up for project updates. Uh, so here again, we're, we're using this, up, up this website, updating it very frequently, um, and it has a lot of um, great information on it related to the outreach effort. 
Um, and then again, a lot of you have signed up for our um, our e-blasts or emails uh, with up status updates on the project and upcoming information. Um, you know, we've, we have um, over 500 people that are signed up to receive those, which again is a great number. Um, our website itself, um, we've, we've had over 2,200 individual users um, access the website um, over 9,000 times. So that's, that's a really great statistic for us. Um, and then we've also had a number of questions of the week, which aren't, weren't as in-depth as the community survey, but just looking for a little bit of additional information on various topics throughout the, the process. Um, so, um, uh, you know, we've, we've um, incorporated some of that information into the project as well. Um, so to, to wrap it up, um, we've uh, got that blown up a little bit more, the, the more pertinent pieces. Um, again, I, I mentioned a little bit earlier that we're um, working on uh, getting that draft plan ready for Planning Commission review in October. Um, that will really start our official public comment period um, and we'll have more information on that um, at the October meeting um, as well as posted on the project website instructions for um, how to submit those comments and who to submit them to. Um, and then again, we'll come back together to uh, give an, over, an update um, on the status at that point and review any comments that have come in and our recommendations for addressing them. Um, and that will move into public hearings for the, the two bodies and recommendations, um, along with the eventual uh, vote on the plan adoption, which is anticipated by the end of February. And I do want to add, she was talking a lot about the online stuff and that activities, but we are looking, we're getting some hard copies of the, of the drafts printed and everything for that October, putting them at the libraries and other places so that those who may not have or want to see the old-fashioned way like I do, um, a hard copy in front of them to look through as well. And uh, that is all we have for our portion of the update. So again, if there are any comments or questions, we would be happy to address them. The land that is in play that can be developed is just going to become more and more valuable, which proves to be counterproductive to making affordable land or affordable housing because you know you're going to put on that property a more expensive you know unit because there's really nothing. Any thoughts? Any uh, creative ideas or how? It is. It's definitely a challenging topic, um, and the uh, the prices for housing have continued to to increase. I think we're seeing that a lot more now um, with um, you know post post COVID. A lot of the um, building materials and things have even increased in price. Um, but along with the work that the um, uh, the housing department did with the housing study, there were several recommendations there, um, ranging from um, some discussions about possible incentives 
initiatives or looking at various programs to try to encourage um, affordable or workforce housing or things of that nature, or the county has um, some um, initiatives already in uh, and regulations already in place on how um, that affordable housing can be developed. Um, so I think it's really, um, you know, continuing to look at those programs and expand where it makes sense to do so. Um, but also, we're, um, along with the recommendations that came out of the technical committee looking at um, adequate public facilities in general, um, uh, trying to focus um, some of the uh, development that would like to occur in the future in the towns um, where they have the capacity uh, to accept that type of development. I think the other piece too that we often forget is starting even like we do the discussion now of the communication, the limitations, the challenges, that educational element as well. We have that as one of the recommendations is to try and do some things to educate people on what the needs of the county are, where to focus, try to get those things focused in that direction. So hopefully that'll help as well. I think you're gonna have to give the town some incentive to except so-called affordable housing. And I don't know what those incentives might be. I want more than you transition to public comment I just want to thank uh, Lauren and Ray and Nikki and the whole team for the they're not finished, but the Herculean effort that uh, this has been. It is just an update, but it's a lot of work. And they've been extremely supportive of staff and the Planning Commission and very responsive to the Technical Committee and the community. And um, we're very grateful for your hard work. So I didn't want to close out without so, saying well, I'll, so. I'll add to that, Amy. I think, I think you know, your efforts to uh, make this plan and the opportunity to share concerns and ideas in the different social media venues that you guys have incorporated. Um, I mean, obviously, just shy of pure uh, uh, connectivity or the lack thereof, uh, you guys have certainly made this um, in, a, in a world that we live in that has relied solely on virtual meetings. You guys have, in my opinion, have done a great job. Thank you and we do want to thank the staff I mean the staff has been great and helping and working with us the number of brainstorming and ideas we've thrown out and tried to get it moving has really been a collaborative effort and um, it's just been a great team effort on that side I think a five-minute break and then we'll come back for press and public comment All right. Um, doing a public comment. Howard Dean. Good evening. I I have read the recent uh, draft, and the draft does not fully articulate what I think the rural community says it wants. In short. Agriculture is the largest business sector in Queen Anne's County, and that should be emphasized repeatedly in the plan. Scott McGlice and I have gathered signatures from all over other farmers and farmland owners from around Queen Anne's County, and here's what they say. 
they want the plan to reflect a greater commitment to agriculture by working to find additional resources to preserve as much productive land as possible and designate the Route 301 corridor from Queenstown to Millington as a county agriculture scenic byway. This should not be hard. Most farmers in the area use 301 to move equipment and it's important to get this designation included in the plan for a variety of reasons that support the county's commitment to our farmers. Since agriculture is the largest business sector in Queen Anne's County, this should be a high priority. Don't get this recommendation confused with the state or federal scenic byway highway programs. That's not what Scott and I are asking for. We simply want the comp plan to show that the agriculture community wants 301 and some of our primary roadsides that go through important agriculture areas reflected as county agriculture scenic byway as a goal and that's it. I hope the Planning Commission and the County Commissioners will support our farmers by finding a way to make this a priority. Thank you. Jay Falstead. Good evening, Commissioners. Jay Falstead, Queen Anne's Conservation Association. Uh, first, I want to echo uh, Commissioner Duminell's comments um, towards staff and the consultant during this pandemic time. It's been very difficult to arrange meetings, and I think you guys have done just about as well as anybody could do under those circumstances. Um, commissioners, uh, both to the county commissioners and also the planning commission, uh, last month I made reference to the um, intergovernmental panel uh, on climate change report, which was released earlier in August. And I want to emphasize that I'm here for this meeting. And given the importance of what's in that document, I'll emphasize it until I'm blue in the face. Um, one thing that I'm a little bit concerned about is that um, our current draft doesn't include references to that document. And so here's where things are. Um, and I encourage everybody to at least review that document if you can. Uh, if you go to the website, it's IPP or IPCC.ch. Um, don't read the whole thing. It's a 4,000 page document. I'm not recommending that anybody do that. A lot of it isn't even uh, applicable to North America. Uh, there are other areas around the globe that are facing the same challenge. But the parts that are relevant to North America show that the West Coast is going to dry out. It also shows that some of the agricultural lands in the center part of the country will also dry. And what that's going to mean, based on what I'm reading in the report, is not only will agricultural lands on the East Coast be more important, but also there's going to be a human migration of people from the West Coast who are faced with limited water resources and having to breathe uh, forest fire smoke, they're gonna start moving. It's happening already. And so um, just be mindful of that. And finally, I'll close with this, with this one paragraph. Uh, there was an article that appeared in The Economist on August 14th um, that gets into the whole climate change and the economics of it. And here's what the final paragraph says. Um, 
because it applies to you guys. <laughs> Deciding how much action to take on climate change is politically hard because it means imposing high costs today for largely hidden benefits tomorrow. But when, in November, the world's governments meet again in Glasgow to discuss how they can improve the insufficient action they have taken to date, they need to think like people who have seen blood in the water. Commissioners, there is blood in the water. Just read that report, you'll see it. It'll become clear to everybody. I just urge you to read the document, and if you read just the summary for policymakers, I think you'll get the message loud and clear. Thank you very much. Uh, Gigi Wendell. Good evening. I'm uh, Georgiana Winley, Executive Director, the Kent Narrows Development Foundation, and I just wanted to give all of you an update of where we are with our community plan. I want to first of all thank Wallace and Montgomery and the planning office for working hard with us to update our community plan and to make it a standalone plan. But making it a standalone plan is not the easiest thing in the world right now uh, because uh, everything, a lot of things have changed within the Kent Narrows. Our maps have changed. Our demographics have changed. Our buildings and structures have changed. So it's taking a little bit more time than we would like to, you know, have. We will, our deadline to submit this to Wallace and Montgomery is tomorrow, and we will have all of our comments into you by tomorrow, but we want to make it clear that there is still key information and data that is missing, uh, some from the technical team and some from re uh, just uh, citing certain research and census data and things like that. So what we're going to turn in is almost done, but just like uh, aligning a, a car, <laughs> uh, there's going to be parts of it that are out of alignment and we need to take some time to alignment. So what we are requesting is another review of the plan before it goes to you after we turn it into Wallace and Montgomery. And that's it. Thank you. Uh, Barry Waterman. Barry Waterman, Centerville. Um, there's a lot of good in the plan, and honestly, this process has gone far smoother than any comp plan I have seen in the past. But there are a couple issues. Uh, first, if the plan is going to state that the TMDL limits are really the crucial thing facing the, the county, uh, the opening of the comp plan, should there be an answer, should be right in the plan. should say in the plan that if there's an answer, through court action, through government ch changing the, the settlement, whatever, that the plan gets opened um, as a result of that so that we can revise the plan accordingly. Uh, if the plan is to uh, shift growth to them, the TMDL limits of the towns and a rough estimate of their growth capacity should be noted in our comp plan. Um, we have two competing goals or, or contradictory goals. One is to direct development to the towns, but the other is to direct it away from major travel corridors. Every single town we have is bisected by multiple major travel corridors. One of those goals needs to go away. Um, in, the land, in the land use section, the preface says that 21,000 acres of ag and forest lands have been lost to residential development. I'm paraphrasing that. Uh, either that conclusion is wrong or the data is wrong, uh, that, that residential development is eating through the county uh, acreage at an unsustainable pace because they, they can't both be right. 
Table 4.2 says we've gained, I believe, 6,000 acres of forest land, um, but we've only gained 8,000 acres of all residential combined, uh, and you can't get to 21,000 uh, 21, acres with those numbers. Um, they just don't add up. The total county acreage from one table to the next doesn't match. They're 2,000 acres different. Those, the, the land use section needs to paint as accurate a picture of past land use as possible to defend whatever your new land use issues are going to be. Um, and then ag preservation. The comp plan spends a lot of time talking about ag preservation, but ignores completely the 2012 Sustainable Growth Act, which along with the critical area law and smart growth is the most uh, impactful piece of legislation in a generation for Queen Anne's County. Um, those things dramatically reduce farmland values. They've, um, they basically ended rural development, which had been the predominant pattern of development in Queen Anne's County. Uh, and regardless of whether you think those things are good or bad, there's been no development pressure in the Ag District since 2013 because there can't be. You can't have more than seven lots on any parcel, no matter how many acres it is, unless we adopt tiers, and then you could go to 15, neither of which are viable. Um, and the issue is that that section leaves all of the pre-2012 techniques for preservation in place and indicating that they're important, such as um, NCDs, PDRs, TDRs, which are completely dead and gone and of, of really no, they're not viable. So if you want to come up with money for preservation, we should continue to seek it from the state. And you got to dream up something new because stuff that's dead can't be resurrected. Thanks. All right, that's, that's everybody on the list. Is there anybody else that wanted to speak? Close the uh, public comment. Adjourn. We can adjourn and reset the room. All right. So we're going to adjourn, uh, and then we'll uh, come back with just the county commissioners meeting. Hey, listen. All right. Back to order. All right, commissioners. Oh, even than we do back there. Yeah. All right, we're back to our normal uh, county commissioner meeting now. And uh, first up, we have uh, a presentation from our circuit court judge, Lynn Knight. And if you want to turn to tab number six behind the big package uh, that we just covered. I think you're supposed to say all, all rise. <laughs> oh, that's right. All rise, yeah. I'm off the clock right now. So, <laughs> so yeah, tab number six, uh, there is a piece in there from... Judge Knight, and she's going to talk about the uh, Queen Anne's County Problem Solving Court, Adult Drug Court Recovery Court. Long overdue. Whatever that is. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Long overdue. Um, it's interesting when I was, when I've started preparing for this position um, as circuit court judge, one of the things that I knew I wanted to have on my agenda was to bring drug court to Queen Anne's County. I didn't really realize how far behind the times we were. Drug courts have been around for 25 years in the state of Maryland. We are the only county in the state of Maryland that does not have an active drug court at all. Wow. We have some, the state's attorney has a uh, first-time offender diversion kind of program um, that they run internally themselves, um, but a structured program the county does not have. Um, and there's money to fund these programs. Um, so uh, there's plenty of opportunity for us to get this going. 
So we, I put a group together, as you can see, there's a team advisory board. We've already identified people. We've been doing some meetings, some in person, some in Zoom, um, and have started working on our outline of what our program looks like. The nice thing about being last in line is that we don't have to recreate the wheel. We are pulling and looking at all the resources from other programs and what is working and what is not working. Um, and understand that we have to start small and see how it goes. Um, uh, you know, we're looking at the small uh, rural counties and the issues that they have struggled with. Transportation, of course, you hear that every time someone comes and talks to you about services in the county um, and program resources. Um, but um, the reason I wanted to come talk to you is to explain where we are in the process um, because we're now really starting to move forward. Um, once we have finished our outline of our program and have all the um, key players, which are um, uh, certainly the court, but the health department, state's attorney, detention center, parole and probation, everybody's signed on to be a participant, um, we present our plan to the state court administrator. Once she approves that, it goes to judicial counsel, which then gets sent to um, chief judge for approval. So court systems require the oversight and approval of what you're going to do. We'll soon be ready to get that. I hope um, later this fall we now have a new chief judge. Judge Getty was just appointed. Um, judge Barbera just re um, retired. Um, so um, uh, we're going to get on his agenda to get our program approved. Um, New funding from uh, Administrative Office of Courts would not be available until July, but they, are, they have discussed with us some mid-year funding, so we could at least hire a coordinator, which is the key success, the person who keeps all these pieces together, um, because it can't be the administrative judge, because uh, I am the only judge in the circuit court, and I have many other responsibilities. Um, but I would be the drug court um, program judge. I would be the one assigned to hear the cases. Um, one, because it is my desire to do that. Um, and um, uh, already hope that I am making some impact in some of the cases that we hear and, and taking interest in certain persons and helping get them to resources in the county um, to see how successful that they can be. This program is going to be a um, predisposition, which means they take the plea but they don't get sentenced. They enter the, into the drug treatment program and then um, go through uh, all the program steps. Uh, look, the average model is about 18 months and they have to graduate from in, through different phases. We've outlined some phases that are in there um, and uh, move on to graduation. At the end, if they're successful in completing all of the 18 months and graduate, um, the arrangement with the state's attorney is that the case gets dismissed. Um, so there is high incentive. Um, so uh, question. Um, so what if halfway through the program they fail? And they get sentenced. So it's kind of like a probation before judgment thing. Yes. So you'll bring back the char original charges. Well, they've already pled guilty to the charge, so the char so they just haven't been sentenced. So then you'll do the sentencing at that yes. point. Yes, yes. And and what what you have to realize, um, it is a sm small group of people who will be who will participate in this program because not everybody going to qualify is going to qualify. Um, 
and they have to have real incentive and but lack the structure and the resources to be successful they may have tried before and fail what we all know about you've learned uh, Queen Anne's County goes purple is that relapse is part of these people's life so the first phase we expect relapse their drug screens are not going to be clean um, but wh then what do you do about that so what is you know what's the punishment what's the sanction um, and then you know from after you know a period of time when they are um, when the drug sc screens are clean then they move into a next phase. They don't have to report as often. They don't have to, you know. One part of the program, which is an expense, um, is regular testing. Testing three times a week. You're not gonna weigh, if you are gonna test positive, we are gonna know about it. And they do, they mix up the screenings, you know, so that if they're trying to cheat the screening by getting used to certain drugs show up on certain panels, then we mix up the panels and we move, you know, so, um, there's, there's a, they have worked very hard. There's lots of research out there on how to really um, capture this for people to be successful. They, that's the idea is to be successful, um, reduce recidivism, keep them out of our prison system, keep them from committing crimes in our community that are related to their drug use, burglaries, robberies, threat thefts, you know, breaking and enterings, all those things that go into feed that drug habit the ideal is to these certain group of people who qualify. The other big piece of this is the evaluation. Who is going to be successful? Um, Joanna Walter at the Queen Anne's County Health Department Addictions Program has already um, gone to the National Drug Institute training. She just went in August um, with Maggie Thomas. Uh, and they would like to be our screen, she would like to be our screeners. So we're looking at which tool is most effective in screening out um, a good substance abuse screening tool, as well as a mental health screening tool. Those two things have to happen before they would be eligible and um, be evaluated to be into the program. Who's, who sets the parameters for who qualifies? Is that you or is that the state a model that you're, you're going to use? And There's a model, but it is the team, the team advisory board, the team that would be meeting before someone would be, would be reviewing what their credentials are. That's why the um, evaluations, substance abuse and mental health have to happen, what the charge is, so it's the referral is initially going to come from the state's attorney's office. They're going to be looking at the charges that come in and who they believe is someone that would be eligible. And then getting them screened, then we have a team, the team sits down and goes through each that applicant to see if they are eligible. The applicant has to do an application. They have to sign, you know, contracts and commitments about what they're going to do, and then start targeting what resources are absent in their life, out in the real world, that lead back to their drug addiction, housing, transportation. They don't have a valid driver's license. What are we going to do to get them a valid driver's license? And that's where the program coordinator comes in and working with all these different pieces. We actually do have very good resources in Queen Anne's County, but people struggle getting to and from and into every resource that they need to be successful in having a clean and sober and productive lifestyle. This, um, Judge Knight, the, the, the team advisory board, um, the list of folks that you have on here, are, are these volunteers or is there a stipend? Where's the, it sounds like there's, there's a, a, 
an upside to this whole thing, and there's no downside other than funding, but there are funding sources. Well, they are, so like the state's attorney has um, designated Chelsea Ensel, which is one of the prosecutors in the office, so part of her duty assignments will be okay. doing this, but that means that her other duty assignment, you know what I mean? So it, that's, that's the other reason of coming and discussing and getting all of your support is that our other county partners are going to be affected by this program because they have to designate someone to be on this team with the team meets every other week, um, you know, for an hour, hour and a half. Um, but there is funding also for that to supplement that. Part of the funding that comes from the um, uh, uh, AOC is al also comes from the National Justice Institute, which is the supportive programs like, ha like having Joanna Walter's time to do these evaluations. It doesn't come out of the health department budget. She's billing for, you know, $350 for those evaluations that comes that gets reimbursed out of the, the um, contract. So they do a side for, to support the resources, the people who are doing the work, and then the services that need for the individual. In, in setting this up and looking at other counties, what, what, what is a, an average success rate? I mean, is it 50%, is 60% it success rate? It's less than that. Really? Mm -hmm. Much larger than that? Less, you less, said? Less. Oh, less than that. Okay. The national average is about 20%. Um, there are 3,500 um, drug courts roughly in the state, in the, in the country that are operational, have been operational. Maryland's average is about, is runs between 40 and 45%. So we are um, doing pretty well. Um, last year, they had a lot, the, statistics went way down with COVID, with the courts being shut down with the resources you know you couldn't go to a meeting you had to do it on zoom well these people don't have a computer um uh, so there was a lot of relapse and just people just kind of dropped out and got lost um so their rates went down um uh, there i think that we don't have last year's full report but um there, that's the other thing, if you want to look at the Maryland program, um, I didn't print it out because it's like 39 pages, um, and we are trying to be careful with my budget money, so. <laughs> um, uh, there, the um, Maryland uh, Problem Solving Courts does a report that's posted on the judiciary website. I can send Margie the link for all of you if you want to get in and read it, and it breaks down each kind of the county programs the people who have come into the programs, um, the um, grant awards that have gone out, so that's um, a good thing for you to know. But so last year's number, so 2020, um, throughout the state of Maryland, they had 624 new people just for that year, because remember it's an 18 month program, and um, 382 of those graduated or 382 people graduated, so some of those from, from the year before. And then, you know, we had, they had 52 that they just lost completely. They don't even know where these people are right now. Do they have um, data on the age groups? Like, is it more effective from, you know, 18 to 30 or older? It's more effective for 25-year-old um, to 35-year-old. Um, Trying to break, the, the, break those habits before they get too ingrained. Right. Um, because if, 
once you, they get into the 30s and 40s, the number of offenses that they have is probably going to take them out because they've just, and they, they've failed on probation before, they're right back they out. They don't even qualify in right. for the program they begin. So yeah, under the disqualifiers, do, so say you've been charged with any of those offenses, would you have to have been convicted to be disqualified or just charged? So like if you were charged with uh, um, CDS but not convicted, say there was a loophole, something happened, but it technically you were charged with is that something you're going to look at and say well wait a minute this person's well, got that mentality that's a team decision and it depends okay. on the individual you know were they charged with it and not convicted because they took a plea deal for something else or because they didn't have evidence or because it really do you know I mean there's lots of reasons that people don't get convicted so it's really and that because the state's attorney is part of this team if it's someone that they are not comfortable with they're okay. not going to get recommended so um but yeah but certainly you know violent offenders um sex offenders you know any of those things because um they're working with very closely with um people in our community resources and so we want to make sure that um everybody's safe as well while we do this and so so my only other question is so your your timeline you have the first 60 days at your acute stabilization so uh, honestly, I got to believe in my head the first six days, the most critical days, because that's the time you're going to fall back into whatever you were doing, more than likely. Um, but I see that. So what if you I mean, I just see where it's going to be really hard. You have somebody come in. They don't have a job. They don't have this. You know, the self-worth isn't there. And there's no, I guess, uh, inpatient part of this, which to me, you almost have to have to get them away from that. Whatever got them where they were initially to be able to even coax them into the medical assistance and the job and the transportation and all. And that may be part of what is, is um, generally it's oftentimes a part of the sentence. So, you know, um, in, once the referral, the uh, evaluation is done, they may be determined they need to go to inpatient before they're eligible to do anything. Um, okay. And it hasn't been too difficult lately to get beds at Widget Center. I mean, we've, I've been sending people to Widget Center pretty uh, frequently. They, they have beds opening up. Gardensia has beds that are open. They take a little bit longer to get um, scheduled, but we can get, generally get people in. So we've been doing um, fairly effective with getting people into treatment. Usually treatment is detox anymore. 21 days, it's detox. Right. It's mm -hmm. really not treatment. So <laughs> it's gonna be recommended for intensive outpatient. Um, they're gonna to have to meet with their caseworker every week. They have to get tested three times a week. They have to go to their, um, um, uh, you know, maybe their uh, therapist once a week. Um, both of them will not be working generally the first, you know, 60 days because they have lots of things to do to get themselves started. And the goal, as you see, the first 60 days is that they stop using. And so that's what you have to focus on. And not a, a lot of other things in life are going to be happening for them and getting all these pieces in place. So. I'm trying to remove the triggers from their life, too. Yeah. One of the nice things that you all um, should be aware of, since uh, this is a great time for me to come to talk to you because you've gone through all this QAC goes purple, so you're aware of things that are happening, but the peer program at the health department, the addictions program, matching peers with people is really um, going to be very effective. They've just started it, and um, I think that um, is going to be a big 
um, thing. We're, I'm already trying to hook up uh, defendants at um, the detention center. They go right in there and meet with them so that when they're going to get out, they start. Um, and the peers know all the stuff that's out there that can help match them to getting their driver's license, finding a place to live, getting into a sober living environment. What does that mean? What are the good ones? What are the bad ones? Um, you know, so um, <laughs> very happy to have them working with us. Great. I mean, I, I, I got to say that, you know. One this, of your big issues. Yes, yes, yes it is. And it's, it, you know, a 40% success rate would be outstanding. It really would for what you have to deal with with addiction and, and the opioids. So, you know. Anything we can do? Got our support. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Thank you. Oh, yep. At this point, I'm coming to you for support, knowing that it's going to affect the other um, county agencies. So you, um, but we're going to. There's looking for grant money. It's no different than our family services grant that we have from AOC. Your the county office has to help us administer it, so it does require some work um, of other people. But everybody, as you see that um, team advisory board, the first meeting that I had, there was 35 people show up. So people want this in our county, um, and um, people are committed to coming to the table to help out. So that's the first start. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Judge Knight. All right, commissioners, uh, we can. Uh, begin our new business section of tonight's agenda. If you want to turn to uh, tab number two, we have the Department of Public Works, and they have three items for your, your consideration this evening. So they're going to make their way up to the desk. Item number one on page one, tab two again, is the Electric Vehicle Charging Station Grant Agreement. and. Uh, Chief Engineer Lee Eggers is here, so can I get a motion on that, please? I move that an electric vehicle charging station grant agreement with the Electric Vehicle Institute for the installation of EV charging stations at the Department of Public Works be accepted. Yes. Motion and a second by Commissioner Wilson. Um, discussion, questions? Tell us about it. You bet. Uh, as you may or may not be aware, uh, several years ago we had some energy initiatives which permitted us to install solar panels, electric vehicle charging stations, as well as acquiring some electric vehicles for the county, of which we have a few in our fleet. At the Department of Public Works, we have three electric vehicle charging stations that have been in place for several years, and they've worked well. However, the, the one thing that the, the charge point station that we have requires a service agreement, which unlocks the station in order for us to charge vehicles. Uh, recently, we were approached by the Electric uh, Vehicle Institute, or EVI. They're an advocacy group which tries to promote the advancement of electric vehicles and chargers. They receive funding, and with that funding, they will install charging stations. Uh, they offered us the opportunity to replace the existing charge point stations that we have with EVI chargers that are basically comparable in terms of their charging capabilities and capacity. The one difference being instead of needing to have an access system with a key that the county needs to pay about $1,000 a year to have function, these would be very similar to the setup you would have in your home. You, we just simply plug cars in at no cost. So it, it really seems like a no-brainer to, to do that. Uh, yes, there is an opportunity that um, 
uh, they wouldn't be locked out, for instance. However, because we have the vehicles parked there all the time and the way they're situated, it's really not practical for anyone but the county to access those charging stations. So we uh, put forth this agreement for your consideration to replace those charging stations. Any questions? I have a question, sir. Yes. So it costs 40 or 50 bucks to fill your car up at a gas station. How many kilowatt hours and of what expense is it to charge a car or a Tesla or something if it was depleted or an electric car, typically? Gosh, I'd, I'd have to do the math on that. I've not done that recently. I will tell you that several years ago, my wife was considering an electric car and we were looking at getting the county vehicles. I did the math at that time and I found surprisingly that, and I'm going off memory here, but it was a couple of years ago when you take the cost of plugging in the electric car and, and some maintenance, that with what you were paying for gas, which at the time was to something, whatever the case may be, it only ended up saving comparable to like, it was less than a dollar per gallon, maybe 50 cents per gallon. Now that, that was a few years ago. And then of course there's the environmental benefits, which arguably are immeasurable. So, right. and this was older technology. I'm sure that things have improved. And I know electric cars have gone a long right. way in terms of their capacity, but there is a savings to having an electric vehicle. It is cheaper to, to use. <laughs> Unless you're paying a thousand dollars a year to have the charging stations. And that cuts into the, the savings. Thus this proposal here. No, I just this is a very science minded community up here. So I thought they'd want to know. Thank you, sir. You bet. Any other questions? <laughs> All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Aye. All right. 5-0, motion passes. Thank you, commissioners. All right. All right, thank you, commissioners. Uh, all right, our next item is uh, item number two on pages seven through nine. This is the Chesapeake Heritage and Visitors Center Bulkhead Re Rehabilitation uh, Project. So could I get a motion on that, please? I move to award the Chesapeake Heritage and Visitor Center Bulkhead Rehabilitation Project to Murtech Incorporated of Salisbury, Maryland in the amount of $1,044,188. Second. Want to tell us about it? Sure, Commissioners. Uh, here tonight with me is Mr. Paul Seiden, Civil Engineer 3 with the uh, Department of Public Works, and he is the designer and the project manager for this project. Um, this project is a 522-foot uh, timber bulkhead replacement project with associated dredging at the uh, Chesapeake Heritage and Vinter, uh, Visitor Center. Um, included in the bid are three alternatives. Alternative one is a new boat ramp for the DNR boat. Alternative two is a new T-shaped uh, uh, boat docking pier. Alternative three is a uh, boat lift for the uh, DNR boat. Um, we had two bids as part of the September 2nd bid. Uh, Murtech Incorporated of Salisbury, Maryland was the uh, low yeah. bidder yeah. at a base bid of $793,245. Um, adding up all alternatives, as you said, it's $1,044,188. Um, not enough money is uh, in the budget. Um, insufficient funds are there, so we contacted DNR, and of the $388,245 needed to complete the project, um, DNR came up with 50%. Um, the project is a 50-50 cost-sharing project with DNR, 
for the base bid. So they came up with the uh, $194,122.50 needed, and we need to come up with that money to continue with the project. I reached out to finance, and they've indicated that there are sufficient funds in the 2021 bond proceeds to complete the project. Um, I would like to note that alternatives one, two, and three are completely funded by DNR. There is no county match for those. So the total cost to the uh, county for this project is $396,625.50. Um, now this budget, this, this project is on a time table, trying to get it completed and opened by March, uh, May of 2022. Um, with that, we recommend to award the project immediately so we can give notice to proceed. Okay. Oh, it's the bulkhead we have there. That's a good question. Uh, James Wood is here. I'm not sure if James might know. I don't think anybody knows. And what are we expecting the life of this one to be? Uh, 50 to 60 years. Last question. How come we were so far under on our original budget? Materials, what is it? Uh, uh, the material cost is, I think, up by 30%. And also, uh, this uh, project also includes prevailing wages, so that increased the cost as well. The next lowest bid was next lowest bid was approximately two hundred thousand dollars over this one, over the low bid. Lower? I mean, uh, the higher than this. One. It was over one point two for everything. Yeah. We we met. We talked about this two years ago. What has taken so long? That's my question. And, and with also, I mean, you you have a drawing in here, but what what were the final decisions? I know we are talking about drainage, regrading, what materials were going to be used for the boardwalk area. Can you elaborate on any of that also? Well, the the project initially was kind of looked at as as one large project, and they were separated out to move forward. We've had the permit for this for a while, right. but we had to finalize the design and get it out, and we went ahead and moved forward with this one, so that now we have to go back and finish the design of the other project. But don't you, I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna put a, some sort of drainage system, you're gonna have to get through this new bulkhead, right? Right. right. So, I mean, has that been designed, or is that gonna be, you're gonna cut through it at a later date? What, what would? Um. Yeah, there, there's a part of a drainage system designed with this. Um, that area is going to be changed into um, a stormwater feature okay. in the future once uh, the part two of this project's uh, designed. So then you're going to, that part two is going to, who's paying for that? Part two is, my understanding, is funded by the county. So part and two. Currently, the, yes, currently we have to go back and finish the design, and with that we'll revi revise the cost estimates and uh, come back for the FY23 budget cycle to request so additional money at that Next point. spring the bulkhead will be done, but part two will not. Correct. Okay, so we're going to have that dirt and, and everything else to deal with. It's going to be graded out, and like I said, with the uh, storm drain system there, it'll, it'll drain that storm drain system. And this bulkhead will be planted in that area. And this bulkhead's higher for yes. storm surge and flooding and everything else. Okay. Any other questions? All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? I abstain. Okay. Four in favor, one abstain. Commissioner Jack Wilson abstain. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. All right, commissioners, our next item. Number three on pages uh, ten through sixty-four. This is uh, this is also for the um, 
Sanitary Commission. So does this go in both sets of minutes? Is that correct? Uh, um, this is Resolution 21-16, which authorizes the MD fee, MDE Phase Two loan for the South Kent Island Sanitary Project. So, uh, can I get a motion on that, please? I move to approve Resolution 21-16, authorizing the second loan from the Maryland Department of the Environment for the SKI project. Second. Second. Okay, and we have Director of Public Works, Alan Quimby, and our uh, Director of Budget and Finance, Nicole Heffer, is here. If you have any questions about this, this is the Phase 2 loan from the state for... Uh, Early routine, and we went through this with Phase 1. We'll go through it with Phase 3 and 4, hopefully. Um, it's just the, uh, the paperwork you have to go through to get a few million dollars. I mean, it is what it they're, is. They're, they're standing by, but no. Yeah. Okay. Any questions? questions? All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? 5 0, motion carries. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. That is all we had for the Department of Public Works. We can move to our regular action items under tab number three. And our first item is a proclamation for library card sign-up month 2021. Bill. <laughs> proclamation specialist, I guess. Um, actually, before I read this, I want to I raise your hand, commissioners, if you have a library card. A current library card. Because you know they expire if you don't use them. All right, I don't know Ooh. if it's current. Okay, there we go. This is actually, it's important. Uh, proclamation um, Library Card Sign-Up Month 2021. Uh, whereas a library card is the most essential school supply of all, and whereas libraries and librarians play a crucial role in the education and development of children, and whereas libraries offer a variety of programs to stimulate an interest in reading and learning, and whereas library resources serve students of all ages, from early literacy to uh, STEAM pro STEM programs and research databases. And whereas signing up for a library card is the first step on the path towards academic achievement and lifelong learning. And whereas a library card gives a student the tools that foster success in the classroom and beyond. And whereas librarians create welcome and inclusive spaces for students of all backgrounds to learn together and engage with one another. And whereas the library card empowers all people to pursue their dreams and explore new passions and interests. And whereas library cards and whereas libraries are constantly transforming and expanding services to meet the evolving needs in their communities. Now, therefore, we, the county commissioners of Queen Anne's County, Hereby proclaim September as Library Card Sign-Up Month, and the Queen Anne's County encourages everyone to sign up for their own library card today. And I would expect that my fellow commissioners will be able to produce a library card by our next meeting. It's a challenge. Accepted. Boom. I don't have the mic. I'll drop it. So get a library card, you guys. Okay. Commissioner Stevie, we'll see if we can do the next one. <laughs> Actually, uh, our item number two is 
uh, proclamation for National Senior Center Month, and Director Kathy Willis asked oh. if we could hold that one until next uh, meeting when we do our Senior Center tour. Sure. So we will do Perfect. that so we can we can pass on that one and move to item number three on page three. And this one is for character counts, responsibility. You're terrible. Mr. Moran, you have it Absolutely. Open? Absolutely. Okay. Character counts, pillar of the month, responsibility. Proclamation 21-43. Whereas Queen Anne's County was declared a character counts community, and whereas all citizens have been called upon to embrace the six pillars of character and incorporate them into their daily activities and to model these traits of good character. And whereas the character counts pillar of the month for September is responsibility. And whereas all citizens will incorporate this value in their daily lives by being accountable and consider the likely consequences of their behavior. And whereas all citizens will strive to pursue excellence by doing one's best to be diligent, reliable, careful, prepared, and informed. And whereas all citizens will attempt to preserve and finish what they start. And whereas all citizens will look for ways to do their work better. And whereas all citizens will use self-control and self-discipline. Phil. Now therefore we the county commissioners of Queen Anne's County do hereby proclaim and designate the character counts pillar of the month for September to be responsibility. This month's proclamation was written by DFC Alex Cooper with the Sheriff's Office. Signed the Queen Anne's County Commissioners. Bada bing. All right, thank nice you, Commissioner Moran. Nice job. Okay, moving right along. Item number four on page four is uh, the equitable sharing agreement and certification for the Queen Anne's County Sheriff's Office. And this is an annual certification that must be filed with the Department of Justice to report any federal confiscated funds and how the money was spent. Uh, no federal funds were confiscated, but nevertheless, we have to do the report. So, could I get a motion, please, on that? I'm I move. To approve the equitable sharing agreement and certification for the Queen Anne's County Sheriff's Office. Second. If the funds are confiscated, who gets it? We didn't confiscate anything. But if someone does. Well, well it, it depends on the, Actually, it depends on the agencies yeah, that are involved in the raid. Distributed. They, they stu right. distributed it evenly. Honestly, I don't think I've ever seen us get anything. Oh, it's been a while. while. We, 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 we have. We've gone. Yeah. 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 three years we have. Oh, no, not in the last three years. No, last three years we have, for sure. All right. Did, All we, right. did we vote on that? I heard a motion in a second. Did we vote? a motion a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? 5-0. Motion carries. Next one. Okay, commissioners, item number five is a similar certification for the Queen Anne's County Drug Task Force. Again, no federal funds were confiscated this fiscal year. Can I get a motion on that one, please? I move to approve the equitable sharing agreement certification for the Queen Anne's County Drug Task Force. Second. All right. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? 5-0 motion carries. So just a curious question about that. If you seize money, I mean, that's a federal tender, right? So why wouldn't that be considered? Because you always read about the drug task force going in and finding money. I know the drugs aren't, but the money itself, why is that not? Wouldn't that be a federal, because it's a federal tender that we should get back? Just curious. Well, the drug so we do, force, so, but we do though. I mean, if there's a drug raid, there's usually there's. So if it's the drug task force, my understanding is there's multiple agencies involved in that drug task force that's knocking down the door. So based on the bounty of that raid, it's distributed evenly amongst those agencies. Money. I think that isn't so. I think it, they keep it. The drug task force keeps their own money. I think. I'm not sure, but check that one with sheriff. 
Okay. We'll get so you. I will find out and get back to us. We will get you an update. Good, there you go. Sir. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Moving right along. Okay. Item number six on pages uh, sixteen and seventeen. We have some legal documents for an amended open space easement on the John Ramsey Administrative Subdivision, and this is just to reconfigure at the open space so that he can uh, build on the property and not tear down a barn, essentially. So, can I get a motion on that, please? I move to approve and sign the amended open space easement to accommodate a new building pad on the lands of Mr. John Ramsey. Second. Okay, got a motion to second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? 5-0, motion carries. All right, thank you, commissioners. Item number seven on page 18 through 20 is uh, an equipment purchase for the Department of Parks and Recreation for two 2021 Ford Transit Connect vans from the Apple Ford Lincoln contract for a total cost of $44,670. Can I get a motion on that, please? Yeah. (laughs) I move to authorize the Department of Parks and Recreation to purchase two 2021 Ford Transit Connect vans from Apple Ford Lincoln in the amount of $44,670 utilizing the Maryland Fleet Government Contract BPO number 001B160376 discount. Funding to come from the Department of Parks and Recreation's FY22 Auto Vehicles Operating Budget. Second. All right, motion to second. In discussion? So what do they use the vans for? That's for uh, um, uh, recreation, probably. So that'll be my guess. Studio crew? Custodial. Custodial crew, yeah. There you go. So just moving, just moving custodial stuff. Folks around to. Those that clean the bathrooms and the buildings. Yes, we have a lot of two uh, staff that go one end of the county to the other daily and need a way to get there and bring supplies that's uh, protected from the weather. Okay. No, open I mean, I guess you, d- you think of parks and recreation of trucks and mowers and right. pickups and things like that, and you don't even think about the, the fact that we need to move people around. So, good. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Aye. 5-0. Motion carries. Thanks, James. Thank you, Commissioners. And James. Uh, item number eight on page 21 is the <coughs> proposed contract with Zambelli fireworks company to provide next year's uh, fireworks show on July the 4th 2022 I moved to authorize the Department of Parks and Recreation to execute the fireworks contract with Zambelli Incorporated for the July fireworks celebration to be held on Monday July 4th 2022 with a rain date of Tuesday July 5th 2022 in the amount of thirty five thousand dollars second 30 30 we have a motion in a second thirty thousand no, I said 35. You seconded it. So we have a motion in a second. Oh. Any discussion on the uh, discussion? Moran's, uh, have a little better grand finale this year. Oh, come on. come on. Come on, man. So you <laughs> wanted 35. Yeah. <laughs> and so quick on the second, I committed us to 35. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? There you go. There we go. Come on, it's a July better, fire, better fireworks next year. Better fireworks. They were, they were great last year, now they're going to be better. Come on. It was a very good show last year. Yeah. It was an awesome show. 5-0 in favor, 35,000. Now they have a common sense. That's right. You know what? I'm not going to motion That's so fast. I'm not going to second your motion so fast. <laughs> you noticed I dropped out? <laughs> 
Okay, moving right along. Uh, item number nine on pages 22 and 23, we have a request for economic development incentive funding for the Kent Island Crab Cakes. And the EDIF recommended an award for a walk-in freezer for $38,500, less a 10% contribution from the company, conditioned upon uh, two full-time jobs within three years of the disbursement of funds. So uh, can I get a motion on that, please? I'll make the motion. If there's a second. Uh, there's a photograph of the... Yeah, I saw it. Freezer there on page 23. See what you're buying. I don't have it in my book. I'll make a motion. Let me find it. Here. I move to approve the disbursement of 34,600 economic development incentive funding to MRS Incorporated, trading as Ken Island Crab Cakes for the purpose of purchasing a Bally Walk-in freezer. The disbursement funds is contingent upon a signed agreement between the EDI of commission and the company outlining the condition of the agreement. Second. Discussion? I don't think we ought to be doing what a bank should be doing. Heather, how much do we have left in the EDIF fund? Come on, Heather, come on, come on up, Heather. Yeah. We have our economic development uh, and tourism director, Heather Tonelli, who yes. works with EDIF. <clears throat> uh, around $280,000 left. And we have set the bar for a maximum of $50,000 loans. And how many applications do you have in the queue? This is it right now. There's two in very preliminary. I wouldn't even call it a queue. Very preliminary where they've requested information about it. We've talked to them. It's a process. We've been working with them for over a year. A year now? Crab cakes, yeah. Okay. They've seen significant growth and they're just at capacity. Um, and in order to take that next step and be able to hire, they have to have somewhere to put the crab meat so that they can buy in bulk and they have fulfillment contracts. They'll be able to increase those fulfillment contracts as well as increase sales, increase production. They have to have somewhere to put it and they they're just run out of space, freezer space for that. This is grant or loan? It's a conditional loan subject to them hiring those two employees. They also said that they plan to hire a part-timer. I didn't put that in here because the, the goal of this program is to promote full-time employment. And how much time do they have to... Three years. Three years to make mm -hmm. employment. And then they have to maintain that for five. So if you think of the return investment for $34,000, at minimum you're getting two people. And even if they were paid $15,000 a year each, over that many years, it's more than what we've loaned them, and that money goes back out in the community. They're paying taxes. Their revenues are going to increase, and there's going to be taxes collected related to that. Sales tax collection, I mean, compounded. When you, when you put it that way. <laughs> I completely love what you do but i do not like this deal but i totally approve of everything you're up to all right we got uh motion on the floor it's been seconded all those in favor say aye aye, aye. opposed and an abstention an abstention okay three in favor one opposed one abstained commissioner wilson is opposed all right 
Okay, moving on. Uh, we have a series of budget amendments here. The first one is for the Board of Education. Uh, item 10 on page 24 is a request for approval of transfers between major state categories, um, administration, instructional salaries, and wages to administration, $65,000 for contract payout for public schools. Can I get a motion on that, please? I move to approve the Board of Education request to transfer $65,000 instructional salaries and wages to administration to account for a contract payout. I'll second. <laughs> All those in favor, say aye. 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 Opposed? Silence is consent. All right. 5-0 motion passed. Sort of. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioners. Item 11 on page 28 through 34 is a property lien for a nuisance violation, uh, unkept grass, high, high grass. Make a motion on that, please. I move to approve the resolution. To, no, wait. <laughs> yeah. 2115. Yeah. Re resolution 2115 to place a lien on this property listed county zoning administrator's memorandum dated September. 14th, 2021, for nuisance violations. Second. Got a motion and a second. Any discussion? All those in favor, say aye. 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 Any opposed? 5-0, motion carries. <laughs> Thank you, commissioners. Item 12 on page 35 is budget amendment CC8, community partnerships. This is uh, an amendment to increase budget authority for expenditures within the character counts program. Can I get a motion on that, Motion to approve CC8. Second. Motion to second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? 5 0, the motion carries. Thank you, Commissioners. Item 13 on page 36 is uh, Budget Amendment CC 11 for Public Landings, and this is for uh, Public Landings Division to uh, use prior year fund balance to do some improvements at Wells Cove and Roman Coke Pier. I move to approve Budget Amendment CC 11 to provide $39,000 for improvements to Wells Cove Landing and Roman Coke Pier. I'll second it, and James, what, what James kind of improvements are we doing? A locking gate. Also note that this is an enterprise account as well, so this is not a general fund, uh, prior year fund balance we're talking about here too, so just FYI. Thank you. To answer your question, we are primarily, this budget amendment relates to Wells Cove improvements. We've been asked to give it a facelift, and uh, kudos to Nancy to coordinating a lot of landscaping and hardscaping. Uh, and we, this includes replacing the bollard lights, which are hard to get parts and corroded in that marine environment. And we needed a little more for the Roman Copier project we're on. We had a, one additional item we had in the last budget amendment. You approved two weeks ago. Thank you. Any other questions? All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? 5-0, motion carries. Thank you very much. Thank Good you. project. Yeah. All right. Thank you all. All right. Item number 14 on page 39 is Budget Amendment CC46 for Animal Services. And this is to um, allocate a, a donation of $91,790, which was received. Uh, and funds have been expended towards that in FY21. And then the reserve is left for uh, this, this next item after um, CC46. So this is to um, to uh, allocate that seventeen thousand nine hundred and five dollars uh, for equipment that was purchased in FY twenty one. I believe that was the washer and dryer that they purchased. Move to approve CC forty six. Second. So is CC forty six a FY twenty 
budget amendment? It was the the donation came in in FY at the end of FY20. Okay. And I'm then just the looking money, at the number. Yeah. The, how high a number is compared to where we're at. Okay. Right. All right. Exactly. Gotcha. Any other questions? All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? 5-0. Motion carries. All right. Thank you, Commissioners. And Budget Amendment CC9, also animal services. And this takes the remainder of those donated funds, uh, $59,885, and uh, provides it across uh, budget authority for medical expenses, animal supplies, and training, and other expense accounts in the FY22 animal services budget. Move to approve CC9. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? All right, 5-0, motion carries. Commissioners, that is all of our action items for this evening. We can move into uh, legislation. Seven. So that's tab number seven. Accessory our, structures. Yes, first we have County Ordinance 2106, accessory structures in side yards of properties abutting two streets, and that is available for a vote tonight. Corner lots, if that is. I move to adopt County Ordinance 2106. Second. We got a motion from Jack, a second from Phil. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? 5-0. That motion carries. All right. Thank you, Commissioners. And secondly, we have our desk item that was uh, County Ordinance 21-08 uh, for the adoption or the rollback of the National Electrical Code from 2020 to 2017. I'll introduce County Ordinance 2108 as emergency. Okay, we will post a hearing for that in two weeks, and as emergency legislation, it would take effect immediately if a, a favorable vote is uh, provided next meeting on the 28th. Does anybody want to tell the public what it's about, or you're going to wait? For yeah, that? I mean, sure. I mean, it's obviously uh, with um, COVID. Yeah, there were some disruptions in the electrical supply line chains in terms of breakers and things that were required under the 2020 code. We've been reached out to by many of our electrical contractors here in the county asking for some relief from it. Um, we could have done individual parts and pieces of the code to try and give the relief, but it just seemed, in talking to uh, MDIA and some of our, and our electrical board here, it just seemed to make more sense just to roll it back and, and wait till the supply shortages are there and then if we see fit, we can readopt the 2020 or wait till the 2023 code cycle. Um, they're saying some of these shortages are going to last well into 22, so I think we're going to wind up on the 17. And we're still in compliance with the state as long as we're on the, we can't be below the state, and the state's on the 2017, so we're good to go. Okay. All right. That's all the legislation we had for this evening. We can move into uh, press and public comments. We had anybody? Oh. Linda? Good evening, Commissioners. Linda Friday with the Queen Anne's County Chamber. First, um, I want to thank you for your support for QAC Goes Purple. Last Wednesday, thank you for attending. I think it was an awesome event. We probably had approximately 300 people that attended, so we were very, very pleased. You never know when you move an event from one one area to another what the outcomes what the outcomes going to be. Also, um, hearing Judge Knight's uh, presentation today tonight was just 
very exciting um, and just to know that we're working together as a partner is just really awesome um, and anything I'm sure the Drug Free Coalition can do to help it probably would be a good idea for her to come to the Drug Free Coalition to do a presentation on what she's what her vision is and how we can help support that program um, <clears throat> also I just want to let you know that we are doing um, our economic overview next Thursday and uh, our director Heather Tonelli will be doing the presentation also she will be doing the rollout of the rebranding of the county so if you can come we would love to have you um, as she does the presentation um, next Tuesday we're doing success in 60 where we will be at Tech Ops, and I'm sure most of you know what Tech Ops is. So we're excited to go out to that location uh, as a business community to support them and all that they've they're doing in the in the community and in our state um, with the programs that they have been able to do during COVID. I'm sure that they were probably overwhelmed with the build out of the vehicles that they were able to provide. So I would encourage you to follow us and see some of the things that we're doing. Um, we're very excited to be able to. Um, to get back into doing some normal, normal events, um, and look forward to seeing seeing you at the at anything that we do. So anyway, but thank you again for all that you did for Going Purple because Mr. Commissioner Jim Moran and Todd Mon, <laughs> they were able to help us decorate the town. So thank you for your support in that. So thank you. So, thank, you. thank you. Anybody else? Come on up. <laughs> this so, is your time. Yes. Remember, state your and name. If I go over three minutes, I'm allowed because right. apparently we do that now. Remember, to state your so, name and where you're from. Keith Griffiths from Southernville, Maryland. Um, I attended a planning meeting last week, and I don't know that I've and I've been into a lot of meetings in Southernville, and I don't think I've ever been involved in a larger fiasco than that. You guys are pretty concise with your decisions, yay and nay when you vote on things. I didn't know what they were voting for, which way they voted. I don't even know if they knew. They voted in favor of a plan that made a lot of residents furious. Those residents left, took a five-minute break, come back five minutes later, said there was some confusion in the vote, don't change your votes, and then completely voted different. Go to the meeting. One hour and 31 minutes in, the vote takes place, lasts until about an hour and 40 minutes. Um, I don't know what kind of repercussions there will be for that, but I don't think that it should be operated that way. The whole rest of the meeting, I didn't know which way they voted. Um, then they allowed some public comment, which they chose to allow a person to move forward after the three minutes that was pretty disrespectful to someone that had an idea. Basically called his idea idiotic in the process he took to do it, which is the process that is required for the county. Um, I was really bothered by that because I think this person, you know, should carry themselves a little better. I don't think you should allow people to go beyond three minutes when they're in the middle of berating someone for their idea and the way they're doing it because they don't think that it's proper because it doesn't fit their agenda and what they like. Um, I think that, you know, someone needs to speak to the Planning Commission because, you know, not only did they say these things but they kind of singled out certain people on that commission and chimed in with their relationships and how long they had been involved with each other in certain things which is a little bit of a conflict of interest in my opinion um, they made a decision the prior month without a full panel on some things in Sudlersville on outside of town limits that they had no idea about 
they were clueless. They said there's no access to sewer or water. Well, less than two miles away, the town of Southersville has sewer and water. So that's not accurate and true. I hear all the talk of let's, let's make things happen and let's make things grow in Northern Queen Anne's County in certain areas, but then shoot down every idea. Well, the most beneficial place for these businesses is probably on the 301 corridor, which sees the majority of the traffic now. And they say, oh, we don't want to disturb the farmland on the 301. They don't want to disturb it anywhere else either. At some point in time, we've got to get behind people's ideas. I think Mr. Waterman was 100% correct. You know, we say all these different things, but then we don't, we don't back them up. We don't follow through. And you're not going to bring anything back from the dead. And that's where we're headed in the northern end of the county. And I think that some attention needs to be paid there. I think some lessons need to be given to the planning commission so they're better prepared and informed and make decisions the way you guys make it so it's known what it is. I think their first step is probably raise their hand so everyone sees and knows they're for it or against it. But votes shouldn't switch from yes to no after a five minute break where everyone leaves the room. All right. You guys are going to have your hands full with that and just moving forward, I think it'd be nice if you guys worked with them to help bring them along to get as good as they can potentially be. All right. Thank you, Keith. Appreciate Thank it. you. Anybody else? All right. We'll close uh, press appellate comment. Okay. We have a uh, round table. <clears throat> Stevie Wilson. I'm going to defer this evening. Mr. Moran? I'm just going to echo with our esteemed colleague in, in the audience. Uh, the, the QEC Goes Purple was, was outstanding. Uh, it was, you know, well attended. Uh, drive up up the street here, just drive through the, the courtyard area and take a look at it. And it just was, it was nice. And, and uh, now to hear Judge Knight come in that they're going to start a, a drug court is something that's long overdue in Queen Anne's County and hopefully it'll help uh, a good bit of people. So that's all I got. Commissioner uh, Jack Wilson. So I got a bit of a brain teaser. <clears throat> so as I was driving across the bridge, I noticed I noticed a sign that I guess I really never took notice of. It says, uh, do not ta tailgate and maintain speed, which got me to thinking as I was going up the bridge and maybe Commissioner Moran or Commissioner, other Commissioner Wilson can enlighten me on this. When we're doing our calculations on capacity, do we take into account, obviously the speed limit on the bridge is 50, leading up to the bridge is 55, and do we take into account the car lengths that should be left between two cars, which when I was doing <coughs> school was two car lengths, into <coughs> cars that can actually be on the bridge at any given time? That's my brain's easier. I understand the question, but my response would be that little machine that's up there, it's counting those cars. No, I get it, yeah. but we've never, we don't still don't know if we're getting 1,500 per oh, hour no. per lane. That's, that's, my, that's what I'm, I'm getting at is when they say we can get 1,500 per hour per lane, can we truly get that based well, on they, the, they, they don't the say sheer? That anymore. So they, they well, okay, yeah, so, that, right. so it's kind of answered my question. Yeah, I'm just, no. you know. They, they've, they've dialed that back down, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood about 1,250, if that. So. So where, how much is that as deficit per lane coming up then? Uh, all three lanes is 750 vehicles an hour. With them all, so 250 per lane basically? Yes. Okay, all right. That's it. Mr. Dumanel? 
Bicycle Phil? Yeah, Bicycle Phil, <laughs> right. So I, I actually had the opportunity to uh, attend a ribbon cutting today for a new bicycle trail that uh, was created uh, um, uh, by the efforts of several organizations that have that worked collaboratively together to make this um, uh, reach fruition. And I know that um, one of the gentlemen had actually reached out to me shortly after this set of commissioners was elected back in 2018. So this is how long this project has taken place. But um, it's located down at Terrapin Park and, and our high school cycling team, which by the way, um, uh, was created just about that same time. Um, we'll be able to host um, cycling meets and practices there. Um, and my understanding um, is that uh, citizens can also, if they have a desire to take their off-road bicycles through this trail, uh, there are several different challenging uh, parts of the trail. Um, but it was interesting and comforting to see that something that was worked on and committed by a small handful of folks uh, could take as long as it did to get there, but understanding the, uh, the environmental hoops that have to be uh, jumped through, the, um, the liability issues involved. But in the end, today was a great day, and I actually had an opportunity to ride my bike on the trail, and, and I would encourage my fellow commissioners to a try it at least once. And on that trail, they can hit the library because it goes right to the library, right? So right. right. And get their library cards. There we go. See how you bring it all the way around? Yes, yeah, yeah. weave that. <laughs> so anyway, uh, and, and then just a real quick comment on, on how our county is responding uh, to Queen Anne's County going purple. Uh, seeing the big water towers lit up purple, to drive through neighborhoods and seeing the purple lights out in front of people's houses. It's comforting to know that this movement that was started, I guess, in Talbot County, and we adopted it next, has just really, uh, you know, there's folks on my street that, that have purple lights, and, I, and I've never met these folks, but they, they're jumping on the bandwagon. And I think it's comforting for people, I have to believe that it's comforting for people who are battling drug addiction, to see all this purple and know that a community is behind them and willing to help in any way that we can. Uh, that's got to make folks that are, you know, battling this sickness feel a little bit better to see all this purple. That's all I have. And their family members. And their family members, yep. All right. Like enough, we get uh, going to closed session, right? Nothing for you. Yes, we have. No, I'm good. Oh, okay. It's late, so I figure we got to get a closed session. Let's Motion to go into closed. Second. Second. All right. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Going to close. We're on. <clears throat> All right, we're yeah, back. Go for it. Call the meeting back to order. Thank you, Commissioners. We just held a closed session under Section 3-305B1 of the General Provisions Article to discuss personnel and under Sections 3-305B3 of the General Provisions Article to discuss land acquisition. And um, I will say on July 13th, the Commissioners authorized a phased salary study focused on the critical workforce needs and corresponding recommendations to keep pace with our local and regional salary wage markets and i do believe we uh, reached consensus on phases three four and five yes sir correct yes that is correct make such a motion second all in favor aye, aye. any opposed five zero motion carries okay thank you very much commissioners appreciate right. it very make much. a motion to adjourn second all in favor? Aye. Aye. Aye.
Motion carries. We're adjourned. You have been watching the Queen Anne's County Commissioner's Meeting. Thanks for joining us tonight. This program is brought to you by QAC-TV. QAC-TV are these people right here. And these people right here would love to thank you again for your continued support. Please check us out on Facebook, YouTube, like, subscribe, notifications, all that good stuff. And we'll see you at the next commissioner's meeting.